Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.8 of the zone. Welcome in. Thursday morning, the big game of the night. Great game for UVU. Horrible game for BYU. UVU gets an upset win over number 12 BYU. So that's enormous for UVU. They improve to 7-1. They win in overtime. And they get BYU their first loss. Horrible loss for the Cougars because not only do they lose... Not only do they get beat for the first time this year, but they also lose Gavin Baxter to what Mark Pope says is a season-ending ACL injury. So that is a horrible night at the gym for BYU. We'll get more into that coming up in what is trending in one hour. Right now, we're going to get to the football. There are two huge conference championship games, the Utes and the Pac-12 title game Friday night against Oregon, and then Utah State and San Diego State Saturday afternoon in the Mountain West Conference title game. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, talking title games on The Zone. Riley, good morning. What's up, dudes? College football championship games, and we got two teams playing in them. Utes and the Ducks Friday night in Vegas. Your Aggies and the Aztecs Saturday afternoon in Carson. I'm curious which game, you know we're going to ask you to pick winners in both of them. Which game do you have more confidence in your pick? Where are you looking thinking, I really know what's going to go down in this game? Ooh, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I So... If, if, it's very long just, too. Just trusting my <laughs> trusting my gut or knowing exactly what I'm going to see, I feel like I I feel like I can predict the Utah game a little bit easier than I can the Utah State San Diego State game. Mm. Um, there's just there's there's a couple of just unknowns with Utah State depending on like you know, how they play, how they throw the ball against this defense and some of those sort of things. But I feel like I feel like the Oregon Utah game will not be a blowout like it was the first time. It's gonna be a very close game and it's gonna come down to the discipline in the special teams and in the run game, which I I still think that favors the Utes, but I think it'll be a much closer uh, opportunity this, this this Friday. Man, I disagree completely, Riley. That's okay. Go ahead. Which I'm prone to do. You're going to cite Blake Anderson interviews with us every week. He's told us what the weakness of his team is. Yeah, I think Sanders State's going to (laughs) roll. And I'm not sure what's going to happen with Oregon. Because I agree with you in that I would be shocked if it is such a one-sided domination either way. Uh, I mean, I was because I was shocked that it was such a one-sided domination two weeks ago in Rice Eccles. So I don't predict that. But Oregon is a wild card to me. How do you beat Ohio State and lose to Stanford and then get destroyed and embarrassed by Utah? They're all over the map. Where I have to think that San Diego State has been really good all season. Okay. So, look, here's the thing. First of all, now I just got to get this off my chest. Go ahead. Either, either Blake Anderson is the best coach in the history of the Mountain West Conference because he only had four players named the first and second team, or Utah State got gypped on how many players should have been actually like, you know, in the all-conference conversation. And I think 
the hard part about this game when, when you're thinking about Utah State is I think we're all thinking about them at the first of the year. I'm thinking about them against Wyoming. <laughs> with the exception of, of the Wyoming game, which I can't. Okay. It's almost a bit like Oregon. They're a little bit of they're a little bit of a wild card, right? And so if they play well, and if they if they in every game this year, they have played very good football. And it's time for us to stop looking at them as like this little team with a nice little program up there, because they're in this championship game for a reason. They're in this game for a reason, and they're not going to get rolled on Saturday. Ooh. I totally disagree. With that. Well. I totally disagree. Utah is in the championship game for a reason, and San Diego State dominated them at the line of scrimmage. I can't yeah, get that past that. That was early in the year, though. That was early in the year. That was without the quarterback. In the second half of the game, when they had their quarterback, when Cam Rising came in, it was a much different story. And Utah was 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 still trying to figure out who they were at the first of the season. And I think, you know, if it was the first of the season, I would totally agree with you on San Diego State and Utah State. But, my goodness, like, like when are we going to start looking at, at this team as a really good team? We all thought that Matt Wells had really good teams. They never won the Mountain West Mountain Division. They've never yeah. – uh, well, actually, won they won it one time. They won it one time, right? And, and, and so you're, you start talking about this team. What Blake Anderson has done has been absolutely unreal. Sure, it has. to have a game plan for this game, and I don't think, I don't think that San Diego State is that dominant. I know they're eleven and one. I know they're ranked in the top twenty-five. I know all those things. I don't think this is going to be a blowout. I'm not saying I it's going to be a blow. Well, I may, maybe I did. I said rolled. So I gotta, okay, roll. I, I take it back. I take it back. I take it back. They were going to roll. <laughs> Come on. You got me fired up. You can't say I'm going to roll and then say, well, I didn't say they were going to roll. I backed off of that. I'm not perfect. Back down. There's only two people on the face of the earth who are perfect. John Stockton and we know the other guy. So, come on. (laughs) I backed off of that, all right? John Stockton. Yeah, ask my brother about that. But, come, come on. Will, Utah needed time to develop and... Utah State needed time to develop, but San Diego State was a finished product by the second game. I agree. <laughs> Maybe they're tired of being good. Maybe they're tired of being good. Come Maybe on. Tired of being Utah good. State won the division because they didn't have to play San Diego State in a regular season. And, okay. and Boise did. Come so on. That happened. Yeah. So that happened. But I, that's you taking know? nothing away. Blake Anderson, I thought he got gypped on You're the coach of the year. You're trying to take it away. No, I'm not. Trying to take it away. No, I'm not. He did. He, he, he totally – I mean, he must be the best coach ever. San Diego State has seven guys on the first team, and Utah State has four guys on first and second team. Give me a freaking break. What's going on with the Mountain West Conference? You know there's something going on there. They've never really accepted them. It's just like living in the state of Utah, being in the Mountain West Conference. They treat us like this nice little kid. They try and pat us on the forehead, and I'm freaking tired of it. I'm freaking tired of it. They're playing good football, and stop acting like – this isn't a good team that's just going to get rolled by Suck Dog State. I'm pissed <laughs> off right now. That was unnecessarily personal. 
But thank you for not bringing up Cal Poly SOL. Seriously. Seriously. Like, are we just going to pat us on the head every time? You know, last time I checked, we strap it up and we play good football and we throw the ball around. And nobody stopped Tompkins yet. Nobody stopped him. And I got a freaking six-foot, 230 quarterback throwing for 3,200 yards and 32 touchdowns, and he can't get all conference? Give me a freaking break. He's a a first-team (laughs) all-whacker. So here's here's the deal. You got me fired up, and I'm not trying to be personal, DJ, but come on, man. It's too late. Come on. It's too you late. It's very personal. It's very All personal. Right, own it. Own it the way PK owned My the work here comment. is done. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so here's the deal. Your coach, the underrated and underappreciated Blake Anderson, comes on our show every week and at least three times, possibly four or five said, if we can get people in space, we can do some things. But, paraphrasing, they do get pushed around. They're not big enough. Sometimes teams are just too physical for them. San Diego State has zero imagination on offense. They're going to hand off, then they're going to hand off, then they're going to hand off again. They're going to run, they're going to run, they're going to run, they're going to run some more. They're looking to push you around and bully you and impose their will upon you. And occasionally, just to mix it up, to remind people that the forward pass is legal, they will throw the ball, and then they'll go back to running it. So Blake Anderson is worried about that. It's like playing Air Force. It's like playing Air Force. uh, Actually, a little bit. Actually, a little bit. So get ahead of them. They got ahead of Air Force. They outscored Air Force. Right. They played really well against a team like that. Boise State was up by 13 and gave up 24 and answered and lost. So even that might not work. But Fresno State beat the Aztecs by throwing for over 300 yards. You can throw the ball on the Aztecs, and perhaps the Aggie passing attack can match what San Diego State's going to do in the run game. But it's hard to believe San Diego State isn't going to run the ball. No, I, I, listen, I didn't, say, I didn't say that San Diego State wasn't going to win, but I, I really think Utah State will stand toe-to-toe with these guys. It's going to be a close game, and it'll be one of those games where at the end, either San Diego State scores a touchdown to go up 14, or Utah State comes through with like a three-point win on a last-second drive and wins this thing. But it's not going to be nearly – I mean, they're not going to get rolled. This, is, this team is good. They're not in this game because they're terrible. And you've let Blake Anderson week in and week out give you the big, biggest Lou Holtz impression, like we're not very good at this and we don't do that. And meanwhile, they're 9-3. and three. They're 9-3. and three. What are they? Like every single team is better than them, right? <laughs> no. We never said that. No, nobody got, nobody believes New Mexico time. and New Mexico State – and South Dakota State are better than Utah State. Just stop at that. And Vegas. Thank you. There are some gimmies built into that schedule. Now, as far as yeah, the Utes, the, as far the as the Utes. Of the season, at the beginning of the season, you wouldn't have said that to me. You wouldn't have said that. No, okay, fine. I'll give you that. The, so a wait a minute. Team. At the beginning of the season, I wouldn't have said Utah State is better than New Mexico State. I would, too, have said that. Okay, you went to one though. UNLV. Okay, yeah, fine. You wouldn't have said but New Mexico. You, or why UNLV. not? I called one game last year. They won one game. They pushed New Mexico all over the field. New Mexico's terrible. You, you wouldn't have said they would have won the division. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Not just. I thought six wins would have been a great year. I would have signed off on six and taken it. True. 
not just you, but all of us thought like four wins would be about what we thought. Three wins would be like about what we thought. Yeah, now you're five or six. This yeah. is a good team. So no, five or six, you just said would have been a good year. I'm talking about what we thought they would be compared yeah. to what they are now. They're much Listen, better. We yeah, get much better. Yeah. Credit. They're a good team, and they're yeah. going to play well this weekend. Okay, I'm still now, the point San Diego you, State. The point you brought up about the Utes, I think, is worth underlining here. That at the start of the year, that defensive line, which Kyle said, hey, they had an injury to an experienced guy. Actually, maybe they had more than one. I can't remember. But the point is he had to play young guys who weren't ready for the level of physicality. And they got pushed around by BYU, and they did get pushed around by San Diego State. And the offensive line was still blowing assignments and letting guys run untouched and unimpeded into the backfield. But that was then... This is now, is there any reason to think that the Oregon offensive line and defensive line are going to be much better than they were against the Ute O-line and D-line two weeks ago? Not to the point that you're giving up you know, punt, punt returns and big plays and you know, it's going to be over at halftime. Nobody's saying that. But if the Ute offensive line is better and the defensive line is better, at some point they will take control of the game and they will win it. So is there any reason to think the Utes are going to lose at the line of scrimmage on either side of the ball? I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think enough changes in two weeks. And I don't think – I don't think – I think that game two weeks ago sent a real message to Oregon that's going to make them feel like they have to play perfect to beat the Utes. And that's – that. you know, the, the closer you come to thinking that you have to play perfectly, the, the, the more it evades you, right? And so I think this team – I think that that did some psychological damage to Oregon. I think the game will be closer because I think they'll play better. I don't think they'll give up a special teams touchdown. I don't think they'll do some of those things, right? So it'll be a little closer. But I do think that the Utes wear them down at the line of scrimmage. And look, this is the time of year where we have to, where you have to consider those things. And that's why your argument about San Diego State is, as much as I was emotional about my Aggies, is very well taken that when you can win the line of scrimmage, when it comes to like conference championships, when you can win the conference, when, when it comes to like playoff type football or bowl game type football, I mean, those teams generally win. In, you know, and, and, and I just don't see what Oregon can do in two weeks to really change that. I mean, they can scheme some things, they can try some different things, but Morgan Scally is a very, very good defensive coordinator. He's going to have a couple of wrinkles for them that they're going to have to adjust to. And I just think offensively, the Utes are just they're, – they're really hard to stop with that run game. And then with Cam Rising, I think the most impressive thing about Cam Rising to me is this, this ability to just take what the defense gives him and not try to be something that he's not. Now, he is a lot of things. He's a quarterback that can throw. He's a quarterback that can run. But oftentimes when you have a quarterback that can run, he gets confused sometimes because he's trying to prove that he can run or he's trying to prove that he can pass. But he doesn't have that sort of an ego where he's like, well, i got to show people I can run or i got to show people that I can throw. He just says, oh, okay, there's no pressure here. I'm going to throw the ball downfield. Okay, there's a little bit of pressure here. I didn't get to my second read. I'm going to go ahead and beat you with my feet. And because of that natural flow, that organic quarterback play from him, I think he becomes tremendously difficult to stop. And I just don't see how Oregon's going to be able to stop him from moving the ball because he really just takes what the defense gives him. And you have to give up either the run 
or the pass with Cam Rising, and he'll take what what you're what you're what you're giving him. And I I just love the way he plays. I, I it's like you know I, I I think it was DJ all year. You've been saying that he has swagger, right? As PK, <laughs> <laughs> but good. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it was DJ all year has been saying that he has swagger, and so anyway. Somebody, one of you guys called it early in the year. He does. He has some swagger, and it's and it's a it's a non ego swagger. It's like, hey, I'm I'm just out here to play football, and I don't, I don't have to prove to you that I have a big arm. I don't have to prove to you that I can run. I'm just going to throw it where you aren't, and I'm gonna I'm gonna run where you aren't, and I'm gonna win ball games for the University of Utah. And I I really like the way he plays quarterback. Well said. I just view him as a playmaker, and whatever the play requires, seems like he's going to do it. Pardon? And he, Are you copying what, what DJ said all year? Is it, uh, I don't understand. Was it you or was it DJ that said this? I think you're piling on the San Diego State guy right now. <laughs> and I don't mind it. <laughs> but you still have identified what's going on. <laughs> yes. I, I, I bought it for a second, I got to admit. But then when he went on, I <laughs> yeah. realized what he was doing. And it was rather expert that he was doing. The guy's got a future in radio, that's for sure. And, uh, and a past, as it turns out. Yeah, a very good pass. <laughs> yeah, he left on top. Uh, so yeah, I, I I agree with you. I, I do think the Utes are going to win, but I yep. can't figure out Oregon. I've been able to figure out the Utes. I didn't. I couldn't figure out why in the world they didn't go with Rising in the beginning. And I said it way before uh, he actually got the job. Uh, and I got one right. Good for me. So uh, so why can't you figure out Oregon? Because they're all over the map. How do you lose to Stanford? Now I realize. That you know it was a close game and and your coordinator wasn't there. Uh, but the, come on, Stanford is but, atrocious. But it's, the, it's the king. But this conference is the king of the one-offs. Why did the Utes lose to Oregon State? Why did the Ducks lose to Stanford? Because there's one unpredictable but I can't game every figure, year. But I can't. Doesn't mean I can figure it out. <sighs> okay, but the but the Ohio and you State beat game Ohio State? because you because you can run the ball and you are a physical team. But and you that's couldn't run Ohio it against State's the Utes. Problem. And then Oregon State. Oh, Utah ran it big time against Oregon. Oregon State runs the ball really well, but Oregon State couldn't run it against Oregon last week. So I, they're all over the place for me. I can't get a handle on them. I don't think they're going to win, but I think we all think that it's going to be a much closer game. It almost has to be. There's so few games that are over at halftime, and that was one of the games that was over at halftime. Just like it was uh, maybe not as much when they played in the title game a couple years ago. The bottom line is I don't believe in Oregon's offense, so I'm going with Utah. Can we just, like, listen, I love this argument, and I think this is great, but can we just take a minute to, like, think about how cool it would be if the University of Utah is playing in the Rose Bowl? If you, On Saturday morning, if you're a Utah fan and you wake up and you're trying to make plans for the Rose Bowl, what a, what a great feeling and what a great yeah, accomplishment. Yeah, well, if you're a Ute fan and you wake up and they win, the first thing you're going to do is look for some medication. It's Vegas. If they win, there'll be some Ute fans barely going to bed when the sun goes to, comes up. It's a 24-hour town built for a 24-hour celebration. Oh, I'm going to go nuts just, again. Maybe they'll just stay up all night and then yeah. buy their tickets. The amount of ginger ale that I'm going to inhale. Oh. <laughs> I just think it's kind of a cool thing. I think it's a cool thing for the state of Utah. I mean, look, that will make – what three of the four major bowls in 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 
you know, in Utah's career. So they, you got the Fiesta Bowl, you got the Sugar Bowl. If they go to the Rose Bowl, what do we have? Just the Orange Bowl and a playoff that's left? I mean, they're, they're knocking down pins. Yeah. They're knocking down pins. One by one. So, Riley, I, as, I as always, we cool appreciate thing. it. Thanks, man. I'll uh, talk to you guys soon. All right. There's Riley Jensen bringing the passion. When we come back, Kyle Whittingham, Utah football coach. He's coming up. Dylan Cauley, former BYU receiver at nine. But Kyle Whittingham is coming up next. Join Unrivaled with Alex Curie and Scott Mitchell Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Hot Tub Factory Outlet Holiday Sale in Draper next to Cowabunga Bay. 12101 Factory Outlet Drive. That's 121st South Factory Outlet Drive. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. There's Riley Jensen coming up next. Utah football coach Kyle Whittingham. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by the head coach of the Utes, Kyle Whittingham, headed back to the conference title game for the third time in four years. Kyle, good morning. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Doing well. You know, the first time, I think congratulations would be in order because you're achieving something new and it's accomplishment, it's hard work, and you get there. But I'm wondering if you even want that the third time or the real prizes in front of you. Does it feel different the third time? Well, first of all, I'm proud of our guys for being able to uh, win the South, which is obviously the first step uh, to get into that championship game. And without that, you you, know, you can't do it. So so I thought our guys did a great job this year of, of uh, fighting through a lot of tough situations. And, uh, you know, we're, we're there for the third time, as you mentioned. And, and uh, we fell short the first two. And, you know, our goal from the onset this season has been to was to win the Pac-12 title, and so now we've got an opportunity to do that. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're excited to be there, but the uh, you know we have unfinished business right now, and so our our objective obviously is to try to go get that trophy. Like what you said on Monday when you said that uh, you know maybe a bunch of plays in the first game a couple weeks back, and none of them mean squat going into this game, and obviously they don't, and we all expect Oregon to put on a better effort because clearly you guys just totally dominated them. I'm wondering, as you scout somebody in the regular season, you've got a whole body of work that you look for up until that point. Now, as you scout them again, what goes into it as far as what you're looking for? One of the things that impressed me the most was their run defense against Oregon State, which has a great running attack, because they basically shut it down. How do you scout them the second time? Yeah, well, first of all, there's not a lot of a change. Obviously, they've had, uh, you know, we put uh, our game and the Oregon State game into the uh, breakdown, whereas, you know, prior to that, we didn't, uh, you know, we just did the previous games of the season. So so there's not a lot of uh, change, and there won't be a lot of change on our part. I mean, you know, at this point in the year, you are uh, the team that you've been all season long, and, and uh, at this point, it's more of a, a subtle chess match, I guess you could say, you know, based on what we did in the first game, but based on what they did in the sec- in the first game, uh, what what modifications, what what tweaks, what minor changes are you going to make, uh, you know, based on the scheme you used the first time around. And so that's really the the key is just to have subtle changes, but uh, the nuts and bolts and the basic schematics uh, don't change much because you know that's just uh, a compilation of what you studied for uh, what eight nine game season and so. Uh, but there will be changes, and, and uh, you know we'll see who's able to uh, you know make those changes uh, the best. 
We've seen it out of your team this year. We've seen it out of other teams this year and, and in previous seasons where a team isn't good at something and then they, they, they figure it out and they get it. And going forward, it's just different. So I'm wondering, did Oregon figure something out in their passing game because they threw the ball a lot better against Oregon State? Or is that a one-off? The other team makes mistakes. You recognize them and capitalize on them. But it doesn't mean anything down the road. Well, their quarterback, Anthony Brown, had a terrific game against Oregon State. There's no doubt about it. He was 23-28, which is you know over 80%. He had a bunch of yards. I think it was 275 yards, uh, a couple touchdowns, no interceptions. But, but he's been good all year long. I mean, you look at his completion percentage all year long, and it's near 65%, 15-4 to touchdown to interception ratio. Uh, so he's, he's done a nice job for him. He, he wasn't as sharp the night we played him, and a lot of that's due to you know Coach Scali's schemes and, and the disguises we used and things that we did to try to disrupt things, but but uh, they're a good football team, and and uh, statistically there's a lot of similarities offensively between the two teams. You know, our numbers are very similar as far as points per game, yards per game, uh, you know, both rush and throw, and so there's a lot of uh, common ground there, but, uh, you know, they just uh, happen to play exceptionally well against Oregon State, and, and uh, you know, that's what got them into this game. One of the things that really, really impresses me with Cam Rising, he's got a ton of poise and composure, and you're big on third-down conversions, get off the field, stay on the field, whichever side of the ball that you're uh, on, is his ability, like third and medium, third and long, where it looks like it's a passing play, he's back there, somehow he scrambles, he's not Mike Vick, Steve Young, but it's like first down almost all the time. He did it early in the Oregon game, might have been on the first drive twice to extend drives that end up in touchdowns. I've really been impressed with his ability to pick up that first down. As a coaching staff, how do you and Andy teach that? Well, first of all, the majority of it's just instinct and, and overall athletic ability. And, and Cam, I can tell you right now, is a lot faster than uh, than what people think. And and uh, he's a guy you, know, you saw him outrun the uh, the Thibodeau kid on the on the scramble you were talking about early in the game. And and he's done that all year long for us as far as moving the change in, in critical situations and and uh, making big first downs for us and, and getting out of jams. And and that's really what you you know a quarterback that can do that is invaluable. And that's you know you don't have to have a, tr- a true dual threat. Quarterback quarterback, but if you've got a guy that can extend the play and, and, get, and has great pocket presence and can get himself out of, out of uh, situations and avoid sacks and turn those what would be a sack into a, a first down, I mean, that, that can make all the difference in the world in the game, and Cam's done that for us all season long, as you mentioned, and that, that's something that uh, is just in his skill set and when something that makes him a, an outstanding quarterback. Nick Ford had a hilarious bite earlier this year where he told us that when he first saw Cam run, he didn't realize how, how fast he was. What he realized was that he ran funny. And Nick said it much, much more entertaining than I just did, but it's hilarious the way he said it. And I'm curious, you know, there's some guys, you just see them and, and they look fast. But there are other guys who are fast, and I've actually heard other players say, I'm as fast as I need to be. That guy's not catching me. How do you, how do you judge that on film or in person and know you're getting that? Or how often are you surprised when you realize, wow, we wanted him and we recruited him and we still didn't know what we had? Yeah, well, first of all, there is a, oftentimes a difference between game speed and, and what a kid runs a 40-yard dash in. Some some guys just play faster than their 40-yard time, and that's that's a common, you know, whatever position you play. But uh, Cam, uh, you know, he doesn't look funny running to me. I mean, he looks pretty athletic, and, and uh, you know, he's got a, a great sense of... Uh, 
uh, angles, spatial awareness, I guess you could say, where he knows how to how to uh, just run and split color is the, is the term you use on offense. You don't run away from color, you split color when you're running the football, and, and he has that uh, ability to do that. And, and like I said, he's made, gosh, uh, at least a dozen and, and probably several more big first downs for us this year to keep drives alive. And, and uh, that's, uh, you know, you just don't want to, this day and age of football, you don't want a statue back there. You can't, you can't, unless you're better at every other position, the other 10 positions, you better have a quarterback that can move around a little bit. One of the hallmarks, if not the hallmark of your program for so many years is consistency. We know exactly, all of us now, since we've listened to you all this time, we know what you're going to say to virtually every question and what your answer is going to be. And we know if somebody says, oh, it's a big game, are you going to do anything different? No! You practically shout at them. You know, we do the same thing, blah, blah, blah. You know, I've gotten it drilled in my head. You know, the uh, most important stat out of the final score is the turnover margin, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, you're just a model of consistency for many, many years, and it's worked so well. Well, here's one thing that hasn't been consistent this year, and I can't figure it out, and that's your special teams. It's like it's been all over the map. Uh, what am I going to expect Friday night? <laughs> yeah, you're, well, you're exactly right. You're 100% right. We've had uh, some major breakdowns of special teams, and really with our coverage units. You know, it's been the kickoff coverage and the punt coverage. Uh, punt return has been rock solid all year long. In fact, I believe Britt has more yards amassed in the punt return game than anybody in the country. And uh, kickoff return, when we have uh, got returns underway, they've been pretty decent. Now, on kickoff return, with the rule being that you get the ball at the 25, it's really your starting position after kickoff that uh, that really matters, not uh, not your kickoff return average. And so, our starting position after uh, you know when when teams kick off to us is pretty good. It's it's uh, you know it's in the upper half of the of the uh, nation. And then uh, you look at the coverage units, and they've been uh, just abysmal. I mean, we've allowed three. Uh, kickoff returns for touchdowns, which is, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that's ever happened to us here. And then uh, three block punts. And so we've certainly had our struggles. Um, you know, we've worked hard at it. And, and I think our kickoff return or our kickoff coverage unit was making good progress since the, uh, you know, since we gave up the, the early touchdowns and had gotten better each week until last week when we uh, let that one out the gate. And that one was actually covered pretty darn good. We had three guys that had a chance to tackle the guy. We just missed them all, missed the tackles. And, and uh, he went the distance, and then punt. Uh, you know, we haven't punted a lot this year, which is a positive. We've had we've probably punted less this year than we have in you know uh, many previous years. But but uh, we had some breakdowns in protection early on, and, and we weren't quite as quick getting the ball out as we needed to. And so we've uh, we've worked hard at that as well. But but you're right. You know, there really is. Uh, you know, special teams has been a very inconsistent part of our game, and and where it's usually uh, a strength of ours just hasn't been the case this year. Well, Coach, we appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for talking a little football, and good luck in the Pac-12 title game. Obviously, we will all be watching. Okay, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. There's you head coach Kyle Whittingham. When we come back, former BYU wide receiver Dylan Cauley makes his picks for the Pac-12 title game and the Mountain West Conference title game. And where should BYU go bowling? We'll talk with Dylan Cauley next. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit smartrain.net or call 877-346-3333. Dylan, good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? Doing well. 
I want you to pick both the Pac-12 and the Mountain West Conference title games, because obviously the Utes and the Aggies, and there's a lot of local interest in those, and I know the Collies are football junkies, so you're following all football all the time. And I will let you go ahead and pick the one that you find the easiest to pick because you're the most confident in the choice to win the game. Who would that be? Um, I would probably say Utah State. In terms of just confidence flat out, right? which game can I pick and say this is the one I feel best about? Um, definitely the Utah State game. But uh, on the side of that, right? Uh, I mean, if we look back at Cam Rising's first game as a starter for the Utah Utes, uh, I believe I had said that you know the University of Utah was in a great position to run the table and win out, uh, and they've done that thus far. I would not mind being right again, <laughs> and uh, them winning out and winning the Pac-12. Yeah, uh, I, I I can see that as far as that goes. Uh, I, the the thing I'm a little bit nervous for Utah because I don't know that they could play better, and I know that Oregon can play a lot better. Obviously, the thing that would uh, concern me from the Oregon perspective is: Do I need Utah to repeat that performance? in order to beat the Ducks? And my answer is I probably don't. I don't think they need to be that good. So I'm sort of on that plane of thinking that the Utes won't match it, but they probably don't need to match it. But somehow if Oregon can summon its best game of the season, I think they would have a shot too. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the big things that you know comes into play right in this game is where this game used to be uh, in an environment right in California where there weren't many fans that ever came uh, and an outdoor venue, right? Uh, nice and nice. This game, you're playing indoors against an extremely fast team like the Oregon Ducks and, and like you're saying, right? Very difficult to sit here and say that Oregon's going to come out and play as poorly as they did last time. So, um, I think that's where the lack of confidence is, and flat out saying that I think the Utes are going to win is, is you know, those types of uh, circumstances. But the team that dominates the line of scrimmage usually wins the game, so you figure the Utes are going to dominate the line of scrimmage, maybe not as thoroughly and completely as they did the first time, but still plenty enough to win the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So can uh, Utah State throw the ball on San Diego State the way the Utes did when they switched quarterbacks and the way Fresno did when they threw for 300 yards and gave the Aztecs their only loss? Or the Aztecs run the ball, dominate the line of scrimmage, so they win the game? I think that Utah State's ability to play over the top, right, in a game like a championship environment um, where Utah State or San Diego State, San Diego State has – obviously an extremely disciplined defense, but they do show a lot of holes consistently, especially when it comes to special teams, right? Um, Especially when it comes to the kind of lack of speed around the perimeter, whereas because of, you know, Anderson's offense, you're seeing a lot of speed and a lot of gaps on the outside uh, where that that box that's normally so important to San Diego State really doesn't – doesn't become it's a, it's a non-factor. So you were on that BYU team. Was it the second one that went seven and six when you were senior? Uh, I yeah yeah. So 
Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering, did you have any inclination of what was about to happen the next two years? Years. Uh, yes. I, I believe in the last four games of the season, my senior year, we saw a huge shift in the way um, in the way that the assistants, you know, were made up, and the way that they played a role in the offense. Um, you know what we did when Zach first stepped into the role to kind of accommodate the offense to what was going to fit his style of play, right? We went away from the longer play calls, the in-huddle play calls. We went to straight signals. Um, and, you know, there was just a much, much faster uh, offense being played. Um, and I credit that a lot to A-Rod and Fancy Sataki. Yeah. Um, and so you can kind of see the culture changing in that way. You knew we had the right guys in the right places, and you knew that Kalani wanted to do what was best for the program on both a player side and the football side. And so I knew coming into it, and we go back to what my experience was personally, right? It's not like I had an outstanding year. Um, but I knew that you know if I could come in and make an impact on the culture and uh, help elevate that, then you know, they've had the talent for the next few years to be able to, to, to change the tide. So we've had this uh, big debate, and there's plenty of people wondering what the heck's going to happen with BYU in a bowl game. Uh, BYU planting the flag in a state they rarely go to, Louisiana playing in the Independence Bowl against 11-1 UTSA, or BYU going back to familiar stomping grounds where there's lots of fans and lots of potential recruits and playing in a game in Arizona. Obviously, you take a New Year's Six if it falls your way. I don't think it will, but if it does, you grab it. Uh, yeah. what, what would you lobby for? What do you value? Yeah, obviously you want that New Year's Six ball. I mean, I think that's what everybody wants, right? And that makes the most sense in terms of desires. But, um, you know, I think we've talked about this before. You've you've put your resume out there for the last two years. People know you're legit. People know you're real. Um, And you continue to use this as another year of building and another year to say, okay, what does next season look like? Um, and you can only control so much, right? <laughs> they don't have a ton of control right now. And so uh, you take what you can, and that's, hey, we have a lot of players that are coming back on both sides of the ball that should be healthy, right? We're not going to go into USC playing with guys that, you know, they play great, but I don't even know the names of. Uh, and so, you know, you look at what the 2022 season is going to bring, and, you know, I don't necessarily like to look ahead, but, no matter the bowl game, uh, it's been a phenomenal season, and what's going to come next year is, is going to be game-changing. I wanted to hit you up on this idea of these coaches leaving like they do. and You know, we're all for bettering yourself, and I don't think anybody's going to hold it against you, but particularly in the Brian Kelly situation, when you're potentially on the verge of a playoff bid, you need a couple things to happen, but, you know, who knows if they happen or don't happen. Um, but as far as them... It's general not to really pick on anybody, but it's general across the business of them demanding such uh, uh, focus and commitment, and then they don't even see the season through. I just have a little problem with that. Yeah. I mean, um, 
this is coming from a guy who transferred twice, right? <laughs> um, the level of, you know, and I, and I even look at the regret that I have, right? And as I sit here three years later and knowing that I did leave BYU once and then came back to BYU after being in Hawaii and loving Hawaii so much, um, you know, the level of commitment that I stood for at that time uh, was probably a little more immature than it was forward thinking. Um, and I look at what coaches are doing now. I look at what the transfer portal looks like. I mean, the coaches almost seem like they're just following the, the scent of the players, right? Like yeah. They just jump and go like it's nobody's business. And for what Brian Kelly did yesterday morning to enter into a, a, a team meeting after your team found out about you leaving schools, right, to require a 7 a.m. team meeting and you go in there for less than two minutes <laughs> and don't take a single question and leave is, you know, quite possibly one of the most immature and asinine things I've, uh, I've heard from a coach. Um, and unfortunately, I think it stands pretty par with the way he handled a lot of things. Um, but, you know, these are all these are all still people, right? And and the goal is to chase the bag ultimately. Uh, and if they're going to make more money somewhere else, then chances are they're going to take it. Um, and so there's a limit to how good of people can be and and how good the money is. And in an industry like football, it's it's hard to hard to compete with that. So as much as I want to crush Brian Kelly, and I definitely do, he's not the first coach to leave before a bowl game. That bridge has been crossed many times. But to leave when the, yep. the playoff is still realistic is shocking. But as much as I want to jump on him, and just to use your words, let's go with immature, I'm seeing coaches fired at multiple big-time schools two years after winning it all and going undefeated. So if immature is the word, don't we have to apply it to some school presidents at some football powers? Because Auburn's done it. LSU has done it. I might be leaving somebody out. Yeah, no, no, no question. That's what I'm saying. As an industry like football, right, where I think, you know, uh, across the board – understanding the circumstances and understanding what football has writing on it to each and every school, right? Without the football program at the university of Hawaii, right? Like the school doesn't stand. So you have to understand that the, the football team is the most important piece of revenue. And in a lot of these 130 division one football schools, football is what matters to their growth. Right, and it's what matters to the president's money, and what matters to the president's bag. And so, each of these decisions are going to be based off of business decisions, especially when it comes to president. You want to talk about just not even—I uh, don't even think maturity applies to it, right? Because it's not even more so a personal decision as much as it is them thinking it's the right business decision. And that's why we only have a certain amount of companies that, you know are flourishing in the world because people make bad business decisions. And that's the difference between a fortune 500 company and a bottom tier company. And so you look at decisions being made off impulse and thinking, Hey, Oh, this is two years. It hasn't changed. Okay. Well, you're fired. You know, people need time. Coaches need time to come and implement their recruits and their, and their culture and, and help develop 
environments that are winning environments. And yeah, sometimes coaches maybe just don't have that ability as head coaches, but ultimately what you're looking at in those types of rash decisions is bad business decisions, <laughs> you know? So that's yeah. a big part of it to me, I think. Uh, Jaron Hall's let it slip a little bit that he's uh, thinking about the NFL at least to one degree or another, and he's got a business decision if he thinks he's an NFL guy. I mean, you made the statement that was very bold at the time coming off, I think, Wilson's freshman year of how good he would be and he ended up being right. Uh, do you think he's an NFL quarterback? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think he is an NFL quarterback. <clears throat> we go back to kind of what the expectation was for Jaron coming into the season. We had this conversation at the beginning of the season. It wasn't that, hey, Jaron's going to come in and be the same guy that Zach Wilson was, right? Jaron has a very similar potential to what Zach has. The difference is being time, right, because of the mission. And so Jaron just hasn't hit that potential as fast as Zach did because of that circumstance. And so – you know, Jaron is a Jaron is an NFL quarterback, right? He's an NFL talent. Um, me personally, right? For him, I would say, hey, let's wait one more year. Let's continue to develop, right? You know, from a business side, we're not even looking at, hey, let's go take another run at the NY Six Bulls. More so, let's get another shot, you know, physically to kind of reach that potential a little bit closer prior to actually entering into the NFL and, and having teams may feel like it's a risk uh, in terms of time. So NFL quarterback, that's a wide range also. You know, there's uh, there's roster mm-hmm. guys, there's trusted backups. I think that's another level. Uh, there's uh, starters. There's team. There's guys who can start. There's guys who can start, and you look at them and think, well, he's starting, they're going to be a playoff team. And then there's the guys who are just are perennial Super Bowl contenders and probably Hall of Famers. So there's all those levels. Is it too early to project him into any one of those levels? Because we've seen BYU quarterbacks go to each one of those levels over time. Absolutely. I think it is too early. If I had to put a stamp on it, and what I would be perfectly happy with, right, is if you're able to bring Jaron Hall into your program and have him be a, you know, not even a franchise guy, right? But if you have Jaron Hall in your program, your football team is going to be better for it. Culturally, right, the work ethic, he's going to, he, like, the his ability and the effect that he has on other people is, like, awe-inspiring, right? And so... You know, if he collects a check and collects a bag for six, seven years, uh, and maybe, you know, is more of just, hey, I'm here to get better and I'm making this team better, uh, I'd call that a win. Um, but obviously, like I said, he's got the potential to be, in, to be an NFL starter. Um, but that's, that's, that's unknown because you don't truly understand what his potential is at this point. Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver, join us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Dylan, we appreciate it as always. Thanks a lot. See you, fellas. There's Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines, BYU losing a game and losing a player to apparently a season-ending injury. Stay with us. 
for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag NFL. I'm excited to see if he can help us out and give us a little something. And um, it's a player that I've, you know, I've known forever you know it was way back to his high school days and, and uh, admired him tremendously over the years always disappointed we didn't get him back in the day here's Pete Carroll talking about Adrian Peterson going to Seattle Peterson going to the practice squad Seattle trying to get some answers figure something out the offense isn't going well they are three and eight Terrible record in the uh, NFC West. They thought they were a playoff team, and they look like they are a long way away from that. I doubt Adrian Peterson is the answer, but they're reaching for something at this point. Well, I think Peterson's goal is to play for every NFL team. I think he's got three more to go. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs> Knock them all out. I need 32 jerseys with my name on the back. Thursday Night Football, Cowboys, Saints, Taysom Hill, expected to be the starter. They have uh, struggled. He'll be the third different guy to start for the Saints this year. But if you're just around 500, and they are, that keeps you in the playoff race. And post-Drew Brees, that's what they're trying to do, stay in a postseason and see if he can help them out against the Cowboys, who are 7-4 and four and leading the NFC East. Well, if you're going to pay him, you might as well play, play him. him. That would seem to make sense, wouldn't it? The yeah. Saints got off to a great start. And they were 5-2, and two, and they'd beaten the Bucs and looked like a contender in the division. They dropped four games in a row. So, Taysom was 3-1 and one as a starter a year ago. We'll see. He'll probably get, uh, I would think he'll get a few games here. We'll see what he does. <laughs> when did quarterbacks become like pitchers? You assign a record to them based on if they start or not. That Ooh. seems so bizarre in football. Yeah, but that's where they get credit for, wins. Not so much stats if you don't win. But you're right. Then There's why, so many things that go into a game. It's like if a you know somebody scores on special teams. Like how did either quarterback figure into that? So it, it just seems so stupid. Bucks wide receiver Antonio Brown expected to miss uh, at least two more weeks due to a sprained ankle he suffered in Week Six against the Eagles. Get him healthy. Get him back for the playoffs. They're clearly going to be in the postseason. So get him ready for the playoffs. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. When you talk to Scott Woodward, he has a clear uh, way of communicating. And it was 45 minutes, and I had an understanding of where LSU was from a commitment and how this was going to look. And so I say that's pretty quick. That's Brian Kelly, his introductory press conference. There's a clear vision, PK. Yeah, $95 million. That's pretty clear. <laughs> I had it after 45 minutes. Technically, I had it after about four minutes, but we'll uh, go 45. On. Let's see. It's a clear vision. We're going to win every game from now until here until eternity. <laughs> and you're going to get paid $20 million if you keep them. Give me a break. And Nick Saban won... Uh, 
won a BCS title in 2003 and less miles in 2007. And then Ed Orgeron won the playoff in 2019. So here's a pile of money. If you need anything, knock on the door. I'll make sure you have it. Just make sure you win it all. Yeah, and then Coach O in two years became Coach Ono. Gone. They're not into 500 seasons around there. So well, the good go. thing, though, is that he has enough money to buy a cheeseburger, so that, that, that's, it's, it's going to be okay. Notre Dame defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman, with mounting support from players and recruits, has emerged as the leading candidate to become the Fighting Irish. Oh, he's going to be the head coach, isn't he? Well, anytime you can get mounting support. Tommy Reeves, expected to stay in South Bend and not go to LSU with Ke- Kelly and continue to be Notre Dame's offensive coordinator. So, they miss That's Kelly, good. but they'll keep most of the rest of the band together. Because uh, until uh, last night, I had no idea who Tommy Reeves was. Corner Canyon High School star Devin Brown, originally committed to USC. They had the coaching change. He said no go on the old verbal pledge to the Trojans, and now he's committed to Ohio State. Which means nothing. Time to change his mind again. Well, he's got five times to change his mind uh, because uh, you can get the free transfer. Only one quarterback is going to play. They, they shouldn't even, they should barely even announce quarterback signings. Uh, he'll be with us for the time being. <laughs> <laughs> but as soon as I announce a starting quarterback, all bets are off. Yeah, and that's not picking on any particular kid by oh, any stretch. It's plenty just a reality of examples. Of the situation. Yeah, there's plenty of examples across college football. If you don't win the starting job, time to move on. Yeah, right. College football playoffs board of managers unable to agree on an expanded playoff format. They're going to meet again in January in Indianapolis. They meet when the title the playoff title game is there so still deciding 8 10 or 12 and are they going to have the six highest ranked conference champs or will it be power five conference champs are in and then the best g5 just in case you know the pac-12 or the acc like this year would have a champion rated beneath a couple of g5 leagues they want to be covered depending on how things play out on this championship weekend it this could be the kind of year that the Power Five leagues would fear. Well, it depends on how many teams. I don't think they would fear it if it's 12, though. I mean, maybe eight, but if it's 12, I absolutely think they should get in there. And the number one reason why I think they should get in there, then it encourages better games in the non-conference, and particularly if they're going to drop down to eight, I don't need to see the SEC play uh, Akron or whomever and Mercer uh, like these teams. And they don't only play one, they play two gimmies and this way if you know you're going to get in if you win then what's the difference if you lose one or two games like the Utes did I realize they didn't lose to uh, power five I understand that but for all intent and purposes they sort of did uh, I want to see better games earlier in the year and to me if you got an act an automatic bid then really play better games that, that, that that encourages better matchups earlier in the year it go to 12, give the five, and then, you know, if you're ranked uh, in the top, whatever, 12 or the other ones, you can throw one or two their way and then then put in the SEC teams and away you go. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Anthony driving on Jeff Green, step back, jumper, got it! 
Terrence Davis doubled at midcourt, finds Fox. Fox now accelerates in the lane, goes to the right, scores off the dribble, and that will seal the deal for the Kings. Got us down the lane, attacks, scoops it, up and in! It's the go-ahead bucket with two seconds to play! Here come the Hornets, a half-court heave at the hole! In and out! What a ball game! The Bucks will survive it! The Bucks beat the Hornets 127-125. Giannis, 40 points, 12 rebounds, 9 assists, and you heard it there, the game-winning bucket with 2 seconds left. Buckets improved to, or the Bucks improved to 14 and 8, and they are tied for second in the East with the Wizards and Bulls. That's actually what they should have done. Should have named themselves the Buckets. That would have been awesome. The Milwaukee Buckets. Yeah. Dallas Mavericks set a club record. Highest field goal percentage in a game in a 139-107 route of the Pelicans. They make two out of three shots all night long. 68% from the floor when it's all said and done. A massive number, PK. Who makes that? It's just getting hot, staying hot from three, around the rim, everything. 68.7%. Huge Amazing. The Rockets get a rare win. They beat the Thunder 114 to 110. Houston risking that uh, number one pick. And the Kings beat the Clippers 124-115. It all comes down to the lottery at that point. Denver Nuggets, shorthanded, fall into Orlando, 108-103. The Denver Nuggets will just be shorthanded every night for the rest of the season. That's how it's going to play out for them. A year wrecked by injuries. They're under 510-11 now. Miami Heat Center, bomb out of bio, undergoing surgery to repair a torn ligament in his thumb. He's expected to be out four to six weeks. And the Heat and the Bulls. Punished with the loss of second-round draft picks because of premature discussions into free agency. Lonzo Ball, Kyle Lowry had a four-month investigation. They're going to lose their next available second-round pick. Why those two teams? Oh, Haven't wow. there been a gazillion teams that talk to free agents too early? We're stepping up enforcement now. Well, how about you actually penalize them with something that matters? How about a first-round draft pick? The Jazz had three, had three first-round pick, or second-round second picks. Pick. None of them are worth a crap. A couple years back. So what? I would take you. If I get a head start and like I can Kyle Lowry. convince <laughs> yeah. this dude to sign. I'll risk the yeah. second round pick. Okay, here. You, here's my second round picks. You want in uh, a free round of golf at the country club too? Here, I'll throw that in too. They'll probably be able to buy back into the second round at some point, you would think. Yeah. There are many years we hear about that happening. Oh, many, many, DJ. You have no idea. I really don't. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. 59-57 with 2.45 to play. Amac for three. Bottom! Oh, he did not hesitate, Jim. Did not hesitate. Caught that and set it right into the face of the defender. Daz Amac gives UVU the lead. Rebound, UVU, Connor Harding. Dishes off. Slam dunk. Tim Fuller. My goodness. 
It's a three-point UBU lead with a minute 48 to play in overtime. UBU will trigger. They'll get it in to break away. Blaze Neal, he's not going to score. He's going to run out the clock. That's classy. UBU wins it in overtime. Final score, 72-65. Fans are rushing the court. And they should be. UBU has ranked team to ever come into this place. UBU has done it. What a finish. UVU beats BYU in OT, 72-65. Fardaz Amak with the go-ahead three-pointer. He had 24 points, 22 boards, and four assists as UVU wins in overtime, 72-65. That's the first loss of the year for BYU. The 12th-ranked Cougars have been undefeated. UVU improves to 7-1. BYU ice cold at the end of regulation, PK. Missing 11 in a row, 14 out of 15. A couple buckets there, and it could have been another win, but they only got one of the last 15 to go. So you watched the game then, obviously, huh? Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I'm not telling. Oh, I kn- no, I know you did, because now you finally know how to pronounce the guy's name. <laughs> well, he had 24 <laughs> points. I've only been trying to tell you so, for about two months now. <laughs> and I had it it's down. It's obvious you watched the game. Him, we had him on. Fardaz Amac. <laughs> it's now you find you don't have to ask Yak how do you pronounce his name because you heard it mentioned throughout the entire broadcast. AI MAQ. So you 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 watch the game. Admit it. Now I know. Nope. I was just listening to Greg <laughs> Rubel. He had it down cold. You're lying. <laughs> and of course, the other big story in that game is that four minutes in, they lost Gavin Baxter, and after the game, Mark Pope said it's a torn ACL and he is out for the season. Another injury. Yeah, I would think he's done. It's unfortunate. The kid can't stay healthy. There's really little point at this point. USC went on a huge run late in the first half, built up a 20-point halftime lead, and ultimately beat the Utes by 20, 93-73. USC remains undefeated, and both teams... Pac-12 opener, they pick up the win, and the Utes drop to 5-2. And And Brandon Carlson was hurt in the first half of that game. He didn't return. Booth Gotch went for 28, but that's a footnote and a 20-point loss. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's that's really bad for Carlson because he looks like he's got some talent. I don't know how long he's going to be out. I didn't think the Utes were going to be at at sea with. We can talk about injuries all you want, and I know the the guy who does the uh, write-ups for the – Utes sends it over, injury depleted. Well, they could have had everybody be 100% healthy, and they still weren't going to win that game. Utah State and St. Mary's. Aggies are 6-1. The Gales are 7-1. They play in Logan tonight. You'll listen to the game on the radio here on The Zone with Scotty G. And CBS Sports Network will have the uh, TV broadcast at 7 o'clock. Also, Big Sky Conference action. Weber State opening up against your NAU Lumberjacks, PK. Lumberjacks are three and four. Weber State a perfect six and zero. Oh, their best start since the eighty five eighty six season. Yeah, well, we'll see what the Lumberjacks can do. I can tell you right now that Troy Hudson is not walking through that door. Southern Utah at Eastern Washington. Those Big Sky games start at seven o'clock tonight. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Well, we've had several mornings here where it was one massive free agent deal after another, but everything comes to a screeching halt because Major League Baseball locked out its players overnight. They will continue to work on a new labor contract. They made little progress, so the lockout has begun, which won't really affect anything for a couple months. Pitchers and catchers reporting. Assume that'll get pushed back. 
be awesome if they just got through this in a couple weeks, but it seems like there's no chance that's happening. Nope, never is. No free agency now, no trades for anybody on the 40-man roster, everything frozen, and uh, and we'll wait. No communication between team officials and players. Get the burner phone. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, Joe Ingles is going to join us today, 9 o'clock. RSL interim coach Pablo Mastroeni at 8 o'clock as they get ready for the Western Conference Final in Portland Saturday night. And Lincoln Kennedy, Raider Radio Analyst, Pac-12 Network Analyst, will join us coming up in the next segment to talk Utes and Ducks in the Pac-12 title game Friday night. Lincoln Kennedy's weekly visit coming up next right here on the Zone Sports Network. This is Unrivaled. Guys are doing a hell of a job. So what's the thing that pushes Kyle Whittingham to not be at Utah anymore? That pushes him not to be at Utah? Yeah. Or, or to stay at At what at point Utah? is he going to be say, you know oh, what, just, I am going to be done? When I'm retired. I don't see Kyle Whittingham going, all right, I'm going to go build another program. I don't think that he wants to do that. I think he's got this thing where it's a well-oiled machine and they, they got it rolling. That is unbelievable. Catch Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Keery. Weekdays from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ PK, it's time to bring in Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He joins us every week to talk college football, and he joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain's given free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular and hosting subscription. Please visit smartrain.net or call 877-346-3333. Lincoln, good morning. DJ PK, it's okay. What's going on, man? Everybody okay? Everybody is yeah. okay. Everybody yeah. is looking forward to a big game Friday night in Las yeah. Vegas. Utes or Ducks, and I think we all know that a second game will probably look different than a first game, and man, the Ducks, they they got to play better than that. I think they, everybody's thinking that, but you're an old offensive lineman. The Utes <laughs> dominated the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Is that really going to change dramatically, or are the youths going to be able to count on that edge in this game? Well, knowing Mario Cristobal, the, uh, the, the coach of Oregon, I think that will change. I don't know how you change it, because the thing is, is that when you're physical against another team, you're just physical against another team. I don't know what you do. To, you, you put more people in a line of scrimmage. How do you change that? Because it's an attitude more as than, than a technical adjustment. And the thing is, for Oregon, you know, they've got something to prove. They, 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 went, into, they went into Ohio State and Columbus and beat a very good Ohio State team early in the year. And they kind of had their way through the conference throughout the year. But... They didn't uh, against Utah. So, you know, the second game around, you know what the, the other team's going to do. you got to try to um, sort of uh, go against it or, you know, combat it. It's easier said than done because there's no way that you can coach physical. physical. It has to come from inside the guys, if you know what I mean. Yeah, for sure. I'm wondering, as uh, you being the former player, how much can Cristobal tap into guys, man, we got our butts kicked, we got to show them, as opposed to, all right, yeah, that might be there, but we got to look at the technical aspect of the game and make sure we improve in whatever areas that we need to improve in. 
Well, that's the thing. See, the, the, the thing is paying attention to details. A lot of times it's easier said than done. When coaches, you know, address the team, and they're like, well, we got to play more physical. we got to be more physical. You know, a lot of times it goes in one ear and out the other because a lot of times guys think they're playing physical. It wasn't like they were, you know, playing soft um, or they purposely played soft. They just got their butts handed to them. So this time around, it's there's more of a pride thing that has to come from within for guys who want to stand up and play better. So I am, uh, I'm curious how much of that is just adrenaline. I mean, if you look at me, you know that dude didn't play offensive line after the fourth grade. He wasn't big <laughs> enough. So how much of that is it? Because you hear offensive linemen when you really talk to one, and, and we work with Hans Olsen, and every once in a while he will just really get into line play and technique and where your hands go. How much of that is that, and how much of it is PK's jersey attitude? I'm going to line up across from you. You freaking humiliated me two weeks ago, but it is not happening today. And you get the adrenaline rush going, and you handle a guy who did kick your butt for three hours two weeks ago. Well, that adrenaline rush has to be handled with control because if you have or you just see red in your eyes and you want to go out and take somebody's head off, you're going to be playing out of control. And a lot of times that creates penalties, creates miscues. More times guys get you out of your what your, your, your true assignment uh, and, and adjusting for it. So you got to play within control. you got to be controlled. But a lot of times when you play in a team another time, or a second time, and it happens more so in the pros than it does in college, it's an opportunity to get your revenge. You know what you did wrong the last time? You tried to make up for it this time because you're hoping to do the same thing. Now, for the other team, it's like, you know, I'm not going to do the same thing I did to you last time. I know you're going to be prepared for it. i got to do something new to you. That's why you have to play with the control, and that's why you have to play smart. And we'll see if Oregon is able to play smart against Utah this time because last time they didn't get it done. No, they certainly didn't. You look at uh, Utah's ability to stop Oregon State, or Oregon, I should say, in the run, and it was very impressive. And then conversely, the Utes, which has always been a staple under Kyle, actually both run defense and run offense. Uh, that's what we've known, come to know for his program for so many years. Uh, but I was surprised. I don't know if I was surprised. Maybe that's the wrong word. But that Oregon couldn't run the ball at all because and I realize I got Verdell out, but Dye's pretty good, and that other freshman's decent. Uh, what can be done from a technical aspect to make sure that they have better success, speaking of Oregon, being able to run the ball? It's absolutely essential that Oregon has to run the ball, so they have to pay attention to details again. They're going to have to start with more simplistic runs uh, where you're running inside of the tackles, between the tackles, to run downhill and attack Utah uh, as best you can. And more importantly, the thing is you have to stay with it because Utah is going to be ultimately prepared for those initial runs at the start of the game. You might get you know one or two yards a run, the thing is, is later in the game, you have to open that up to where you get four or five yards a game, uh, four or five yards per run. And you have to, you have to push the, the, the Utah defense. Easier said than done because Utah's prepared for it, especially with the rotation. So you're going to have to find an answer for Devin Lloyd. You're going to have to find an answer for Utah's defensive line. Uh, more importantly, you're going to have to find an answer the way that you can address the safeties coming in the box to help support the run. Uh, and you've got to get some push up front. And that's, that's going to be the key to Oregon's success if they're going to have any. So for years, we watched BYU and Utah play Air Force, and we have gotten used to watching a team that can run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and they don't throw it often. But when they hit you, they hit you for a big play. There's plenty of doubters and plenty of people critical of Anthony Brown. 
Right. Do you think he can make a handful of big plays? I mean, he doesn't usually have to carry this team because they can usually run the ball. And if they only run for 63 yards like they did against the Utes, they're probably beaten no matter what he does. But do you trust him to make a few big plays in the second half of a close game if it comes to that? Well, look, I'm thinking Utah's going to win this game again. I, I thought Utah was a more physical team all year. So I'm not surprised that Utah's in this position uh, to play Oregon for the Pac-12 championship. As far as Anthony Brown's concerned, I, I, I thought when the games that I did with him with the Pac-12 network, he didn't really truly understand his progression or trust his receivers. Now, as the year progressed, obviously that trust increased and stuff like that. But still, there was there was a, a, a lacking from a guy who came from a passing school in Boston College to where he is right now. Uh, with that being said, if the run doesn't work and doesn't allow you to open up play action or how you open up lanes to run to throw the ball, it's going to be a long day for Oregon's offense. I still am not there with Anthony Brown throwing the ball more times than running the ball and think that Oregon's going to have a success. Yeah, I agree. I've been saying that all season. I'm with you, Lincoln. Arm in arm. You probably don't want me to be an arm in arm with you, but I am arm in arm. You can do that. I also was surprised that Oregon's defense last week against Oregon State really controlled the run because Oregon State yeah. has been a great running offense yeah. all season. But you, Oregon's defense, I think that I wasn't surprised that they won the game, but as I watched the game and then, of course, look at the stats afterward, that wow, they really did a good job. How much do you think that they can be effective run def- defense against Utah's run offense? I think that was a true test for the Pac-12 championship. To slow down Oregon State's run offense, negate them, make them one-dimensional, was going to play into their favor when they played against Utah. And I think that was a good sign because, if anything, it built confidence coming into this Utah game. Look, the last time these two teams came, uh, played, uh, you know, they were out physical that you guys mentioned. We talked about earlier in this, in this interview. This was a good sort of prelude to come, if you will, as you build up to this moment to see if Oregon can stand the, you know, can stand the true test. Uh, and and they, they were able to work it. I wasn't necessarily surprised. Uh, I thought Oregon State was going to be better, uh, sort of more of tuned to, to, to play Oregon when they did, but I wasn't necessarily surprised because Oregon's a good football team. I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but it's going to be anyone's guess if they can duplicate that against Utah because I think Utah is still more physical even than Oregon State. The Utes have been throwing the ball better this year. People are falling in love with Cam rising. Uh, but there are Ute fans who are still scarred by the passing game's inability to, to get it done at different times over the last, well, many years, actually. Uh, <laughs> is, it, is it different now? Should Ute fans put away the old nightmares and trust the Cam rising? And the passing game are going to make big plays against the Ducks. Appreciate the tight end play for the Utah offense. And what I mean by that is the fact that you've got tight ends that can run effective routes that are good size, and it makes it very difficult for opposing defenses to slow them down. You don't have linebackers who are capable of staying with them. You don't have safeties who are capable of staying with them. So appreciate the tight end passing game when it comes to this offense. And more importantly, Ryzen, Cameron Ryzen is playing well. He's learned what he has as far as weapons to throw down the field. I think that the Utah fans should appreciate that. It's come a long way. But Andy Legwood and this coaching staff has put a lot into this team, especially using the tight ends. They're 12 and 13 personnel. Appreciate it because it really is fundamentally sound, and it's good to see because you know for, for a young quarterback who might have struggled early or might have not really found his way, to know that he can depend on those tight ends and they'll be effective is really a, really a fun thing to play with.
Last week when you came on the day before Thanksgiving, I asked you about the coaching hires and how sexy the uh, USC Trojans needed to be. So they go and get a big name. Do you think that that was sexy enough? And what's your anticipation of this person in this job? USC is a top five job. It is a high profile job. Um, the fact that they went out and got Lincoln Riley was surprising and, and, and commending, you know, absolutely um, from the standpoint where I believe that if USC football is relevant, not only in the Pac-12, Pac-12, but in the national standings, it's relevant for football. Much like, you know, the Dallas Cowboys or the Raiders for professional football. If they're relevant, it's good for football. That's the same thing for USC. I think now USC is going to be relevant. They're going to be a team to watch. There's going to be a team that's going to gather a lot of attention. I'm surprised that they were able to get Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, but at the same point, it is a very sexy pick, and you know, congratulations to the Trojans. So after the Michigan-Ohio State game, uh, Harbaugh took a tremendous shot at Ryan Day. You know, the whole some people are on third base and think they hit a triple, and they didn't. Um, so Lincoln Riley, was, was he born on third base getting that Oklahoma job? Does, <laughs> is he, I mean, that's not who Harbaugh was talking about. But and if yeah. you're the Pac-12, you've got to wonder, well, Oklahoma was up and running. Now, you did a great job of running it for five years to win 55 games, but USC is not up and running. USC, that car's got to be rebuilt. Yes, and, and, and see, that's when you need someone who runs who was able to run a program. I know that Oklahoma's established, but at the same point, Lincoln Riley did wonders for the quarterbacks that he had, and you guys know as well as I do, in this game, if you have a quarterback, you have a chance. So it's, it's up to Lincoln Riley to bring in the recruits, especially a quarterback, to make you know, USC viable again. I think he can. Uh, you know, USC uh, without Lincoln Riley is a brand that's well known. It's been down for some years. Clay Helton tried to find his way. He never really found his true way. But since Pete Carroll left, um, USC has been trying to figure out what, who they are, their true identity. I think Lincoln Riley brings that back. Much like Chip Kelly brought it to UCLA, much like you know Herm Edwards brought it to ASU, you know regardless of the future of those programs, the fact is is that USC has to be viable in the conversation with college football, and because it is a highly prolific job, Lincoln Riley is a name that's been out there that's been associated with possible you know pro names for many years. And Heisman Trophy winners, as well as Heisman Trophy candidates, you saw the job that he did in Oklahoma. You saw the fact that he, you know, had two quarterbacks. One of them, you know, Spencer Rattler left uh, for another for another place. But you saw what he was able to do at his time in Oklahoma. You're hoping that he brings that same sort of notoriety to SC. If he makes SC viable, it's great for college football, and I think he will. How about the two Washingtons with the uh, promotion or elevation of the interim head coach at yeah. Washington State and then uh, what Washington did? You know, when, when you look at what the, the Washington school is doing, they're trying to get in line. And I knew that, you know, I have a personal relationship with Jen Cohen. She's a good friend of mine, uh, the athletic director of Washington. I knew she had an uphill job to try to find someone, especially with the jobs that were available. Think about it, guys. LSU, Florida. The USC, just to name a few, that were available. Can you remember the last time that's happened? Because I can't. You know, you talk no. about jobs that are open that you have to find candidates for. And more importantly, you know, if you're Washington 
it was as a proud alumni, it was to me, it wasn't so much about the sexy sizzling pick. It was about a good quality pick, someone who knows how to run a program, someone who can build a coaching staff, someone who loves recruiting. And it was, the, you know, there was a very small amount of names that, that fit within that. And I think, you know, Washington was able to do a good job and finding, you know, somebody who's come up the ranks and was at Fresno State and was able to, to move up. As far as Wazoo, the same thing happens because Wazoo wasn't going to look as good as, say, Washington. Nothing against Wazoo. It is what it is. But Wazoo did from within because they realized watching their kids respond to what the coaching transition happened throughout the year and watching how they played, it was the right move. And I really appreciate the fact that Wazoo said, you know what, we don't need to try to outshine anybody. We need to step out what we have. Let's look at within and see what's work and let's build from there. So... When Notre Dame loses a coach and they still have a shot at the playoff, it's like that was like the last bridge, right? We've seen plenty of coaches, head coaches, take off before a bowl game. There's nothing new about that. We've seen coordinators take off even though there's a playoff game to be played. The last thing you didn't do was have a head coach leave before the playoffs, and Notre Dame may not get in. Games may not break their way. But games might break their way. It's not a reach. How much did that bug you, and how much did you think – Hey, he's got a better chance to win a national title and they're giving him $95 million bucks. This is just what it is. Who cares if he left and if they have to go to the playoffs without a coach? Well, too bad for Notre Dame. I, you know, look, Notre Dame, like SC, is a high-profile job. Um, there are very few organizations or schools in a country that can stand alone uh, and stand on their own and support themselves. BYU, Texas, Notre Dame, SC, you know, um, you can even say Alabama at this particular point don't need conferences to be successful. But I thought with Brian Kelly, I thought specifically Notre Dame has such stringent recruitment policies that they weren't going to allow themselves to recruit the same people that would the same guys that would go to a LSU or go to an Alabama or go to somebody else SEC schools. And, and that's good. I mean, look, you, you, you are who you are. But as long as Brian Kelly was at Notre Dame, he wasn't going to win a national championship. It's been proven. Re- regardless of the playoff situation this year, even if Notre Dame got in the playoff, they weren't going to beat you know, Alabama. They weren't going to beat Georgia. But let's, let's not try to fool ourselves. Heck, they couldn't even beat Cincinnati, who was up for the, the, the playoffs. So, you know, it would have been another time where you're hitting your head on the goalposts and you're, you're frustrated that you're not able to cross that level. So I'm not surprised that Brian Kelly took the LSU job. If you can't beat him, join him. Now he'll take his talents down to the SEC. He can recruit the same guys as Alabama, Georgia, and those other schools, and maybe they have a chance to compete, and maybe he can finally you know, get that uh, elusive national championship or be able to chase the competition to where he's able to, to compete with them. As far as Notre Dame being open, you know, uh, until Notre Dame gets off his high horse and starts understanding the way things are like a lot of schools, look, Washington needs to understand that NIL is important when it comes to recruiting. If you want to sit there and try to hold your academic standards by today's standard, today's game, you're not going to get those blue chippers. They're not going there because they go to places like Oregon, they go to places, other places, you know, and get that NIL money, you know, whether it's cryptocurrency or, 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 or plane tickets or houses or whatever the hell it is, NIL, you better get off your high horse and understand that today's game has changed. Uh, until Notre Dame does that, Notre Dame is going to be a great brand 
fun to watch on NBC, but they're never going to be any more than a second place sort of standard football-wise, if you know what I mean. Lincoln, we will leave it right there. We'll leave the NFL for another week, but I I am going to ask you in an ensuing show if uh, Bill Belichick really is Darth Vader in this six-game win streak. (laughs) My gosh, a rookie quarterback and everybody else passed on him, and are they going to beat the Bills Monday night and win the division? But we'll worry about that another week. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Be good. That's all you show. Lincoln Kennedy. Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst, but this week we stay focused on the college game with the Utes having the Pac-12 title game with the Ducks Friday night. All right, stay with us. Coming up, Joe Ingles is here at 9 o'clock this morning. Joe Ingles at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. I want to see BYU face somebody that is really going to put them to the challenge. Hell, throw him in the Rose Bowl with Utah. Let's go round oh. two on this bad boy. Could you imagine? People are going to be so... Oh, I know. At Scotty G. No, don't give him the Twitter account. <laughs> okay, obviously it's never going to happen. I just think it'd be funny for Utah fans finally get to the Rose Bowl and they look across the field and there's Kalani Sataki with a smile on his face like, yeah, we're good you guys. <laughs> hey, did you see that parade? It was really cool. <laughs> did you see the gifts they gave us? This is incredible. Can you believe this payday? We're all going to be rich. Oh, you have to share your bowl purse? Oh, oh yeah, we get all of it. Okay. No, that, uh, I'm, that's I'm all on kidding. Scotty. I'm kidding. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Hot Takes Your Toast brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Losing your hair? It's 2021 and you don't have to. UFP Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore thick hair permanently. Just text HAIR to 801-960-3137 for 15% off any hair loss treatment or visit www.utahhairmd.com. PK, you had the hot take of the night, and I have to say I misjudged a large portion of the audience. I like to see these and think, okay, what did people say? And most of the time, I got a pretty good feel for where it's going to go before I get too deep into the takes. But UVU gives BYU its first loss. They beat the 12th-ranked Cougars in overtime. And you post on Twitter, Utah Valley is West Coast Conference champions. Pretty proud of yourself right there? Oh, no, not really. Really? No, what? That was a good one. Dumb line. No, it wasn't. Silly. It was silly. It was was fabulous. It was well timed. Timing is everything. Uh, yeah, I can. I I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, you've and your timing got got glorious reactions. Britain, Britain Johnson. I see what you did there. Dot dot dot. That is funny. It was amusing. I'll give you that. Justin called it bloody marvelous. See, that, that's overstated. The real DQ at Quinney, who's got the BYU football avatar, says, congrats on a good win, UVU. Played it straight. The thing that I thought was unusual, and I, I was sitting in a hotel because I'm in Vegas right now. I am on the 25th floor of the Palms uh, for uh, our coverage of the football game, obviously, coming up tomorrow. So I'm bored in a hotel, and (laughs) (laughs) so that's going to lead me to do stuff. Uh, You know, I've spent many, many days and hours and years, probably, if you total it up, in hotels over the years with the travel. 
Um, so I started looking at the notifications, and I was surprised some people took it seriously. Like, for instance, I, I've got it up right now. This guy just tweets in at me. PK is lazy. He loves pot shots at BYU. He does not tweet Utah sarcastically, and I guess there's some he uh, at UU Utah. So he does not tweet at UU Utah at you Utah sarcastically just waiting for the anti-church tweet it will probably just be a comment on his radio show that people only listen to to hear DJ now I take great offense at that because I have gone on record (laughs) that some of my dearest friends are Latter-day Saints and I do not take pot shots at their religion I respect their religion immensely fire away PK fire away (laughs) Man, people, an anti-church people. tweet. He's calling me a religious bigot. Yes, he is. I That's am going to doing. get with my attorney. <laughs> Libel and slander. Here we go. Oh, man. It's just awesome when people read stuff, what they think they know. It's spectacular. I never take shots at Utah. Well, why would I? A... I love Utah. B, I hate the Mormons. When you put that together, if A and B always equal C. So, of course, that would be the case. And everyone knows that for 20 years, they only listen to you. I would think when I speak, they actually turn down the sound. Johnny Linehan tweeted at you, no lies detected. Use the GIF, the GIF game here. I'm going to alternate between GIF and GIF. Keep everybody happy. All things to all people, Johnny PK. The punter, yeah. yeah, the former punter was there. Ojo Henry yeah. gave you uh, Dwight shaking his head and, and going, yeah, at the camera. PK is good at his job. You got a lot of office tweets. You got uh, Simon Cal with an exaggerated clap from Joe Wheat. Uh, BYU Marriott Center, the official Marriott Center account, <laughs> or the unofficial Marriott Center. <laughs> when you click on it, it says, I am the mighty Marriott Center. Hilarious. <laughs> Amazing. Congrats on your banner. That's a funny tweet. Follow BYU Marriott Center. Somebody's got a sense of humor. But, I, you know, I think the more important issue here, it, what do I have to do to show more love to the LDS people? <laughs> Tell the truth. Tell the He's truth. He's waiting for an anti-church tweet. Hey, I well, I promise you. That you will wait a long time. I will tell you a quick Jerry Sloan story. Uh-huh. You know, obviously I covered Jerry Sloan for many, many years like we all did. Well, then I got to know him on a much more personal level going to Mexico with he and his wife, right? And Phil Johnson and his wife. It was a lot of fun. It was uh, somewhat humbling to to be around Jerry in a, in a social setting like that multiple times over multiple years. So he got to know my wife, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we come to a game, uh, uh, some, some random game, and we're walking on the concourse, and there's Jerry. And he's walking on the concourse, and he sees us coming, right? Mm-hmm. So he stops. He says, hey, man, it's good to see you, blah, 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 blah. And so he's chatting with the two of us, right, just because he's, he was just a marvelous man. And while we're standing there on the concourse, a fan comes up, uh, and, you know, obviously, Jerry, Hall of Famer, my gosh. 
uh, man of the people, but a Hall of Famer nonetheless. And the guy says to him, Jerry, Coach Sloan, Coach Sloan, man, I'm just waiting for you to be back on the sidelines coaching the Jazz. And he's talking to us, and he, without missing a beat, he turns to the guy, and he looks down because Jerry was tall, and he says, well, you're going to be waiting a hell of a long time then. And then, boom, <laughs> goes right. <laughs> and then right back into the conversation with you and your wife. Y- yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> No, he didn't. He didn't. And if he's talking to us, the yeah. guy comes up to us, boom, 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 and it goes right, right back to the conversation. And if you're around uh, truly famous people, some of them would have <laughs> stared at the person, just ignored them, or said, "Hey, I'm having a conversation here." Others would have turned and had a conversation and blown you off for a minute or two. But Jerry <laughs> did both drop the line and didn't miss a beat. <laughs> yeah, and he went right on to whatever we were talking about. So this is Dave. He's waiting for me to put out an anti-church tweet well i'm going to say unequivocally on the record a la jerry sloan you're going to have to wait a hell of a long time (laughs) (laughs) last thing on your tweet before we go and i am lazy i agree on that el (laughs) duderino hence you're sitting in a uh, hotel room in vegas there's like a thousand things to do if you go out the door and you're just sitting in the hotel room <laughs> tweeting about a UVU basketball game at night. <laughs> just can't be bothered. Uh, El Duterino says, I can't wait to see the UVU version of this sticker. And he's got a picture. It looks like it's uh, looks like it's some kind of truck or van, but it's a fairly tight shot of the window. It's got a huge BYU logo. The oval logo, blue, white letters. And next to it, it's got Pac-12 2021 champions. It's got the logo of the five schools they beat, and underneath it has the letter W and then 2416 under the Arizona logo, W2617 under the U logo. Yeah, it's the scores of every game. And it is very well done and precisely done. It looks very professional. If you did it, if you did it in your garage, you did it very well. You may have paid somebody to do it. I've retweeted it in this case says I can't wait to see the UVU sticker uh, version of this. UVU. So is it at one big uh It takes up the whole like window. Sticker? No, or I don't think so. I don't I mean I can't see it exactly. They're individual ones. I that's looking at it, that's what I think it is. And maybe they did have one big sticker, and that's why it's so geometrically aligned. Like, all the scores are in a perfect line. This isn't like crazy letters bobbing and weaving all over the place if you or I tried to do it. I, I, got, yeah. I got no skill at this. It looked like a mess. This, this was done professionally. And maybe it is a big two-foot-by-two-foot two sticker. It doesn't look like it, though. I think it's separate ones, but I suppose it could be. I retweeted the the uh, picture, so you can go to my Twitter feed and you can see it for yourself. Well, should I retweet the guy calling me lazy and waiting for my anti-Latter-day Saint tweet? I think you should tweet that one negative one, and then you should tweet the 25 of them, who, people who put up the, the various gifts from pop culture, from famous movies and TV shows, who all thought it was a freaking hilarious tweet. Yeah, but I don't do that, though. I, I know, I'm but I think this one, time, this one time you should. <laughs> it just kind of offsets how uptight this guy is and how much fun everybody else. Because the thing that I totally uh, failed to expect or uh, anticipate was that Utes, Cougars, Wolverines, everybody thought that was a hilarious tweet. There was a wide range of people who were like, oh, that's funny. Because it was. That's all it was meant to be. No harm intended. I know, but I get how a lot of times people see the tweets you think are funny and they don't get it. 
But this one, people got it. Not that one guy, but largely people got it. <laughs> All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Pablo Mastroni, RSL's interim coach, joins us next before they head off to Portland for the Western Conference Final Saturday night. Joe Ingles is here at 9 o'clock on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Pablo Mastroeni, RSL's interim coach. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Pablo, good morning. Good morning, guys. How's it going? It is going well this morning, and I guess it's going well for you. You're on a pretty wild ride right now, aren't you? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a, a crazy last couple of weeks, um, but uh, really enjoying it. Um, I think we ended off the season on a bright note and uh, just carrying that momentum here into the playoffs. Yeah, you speak of momentum, Pablo. I mean, your team obviously has it to the highest level. I would have to think right now, to to, to one degree or another, if not completely, they probably think they're invincible. (laughs) Yeah, I I think, you know, we've – Again, I think the, the the way we ended the season with uh, you know so, some tough defeats and some some good and, and a great victory, um, and then you know starting in Seattle, going up against thirty five thousand fans and a difficult place to play and winning that game, and then you know going back to KC where we were a couple of weeks earlier to get in and playing that fantastic game and getting a great result. And so you're right. I think that confidence is within the group. Um, but uh, the, the great thing that I that I notice at this moment about the group is that there's a there's it's quiet confidence. It's it's not, um, you know, guys aren't getting over them, getting ahead of themselves. They're, they're they're training the right way. They're preparing the right way, um, and you can really see the focus in their eyes. It's funny because a couple weeks before the playoffs, I think most fans would have said this team is just barely going to miss the playoffs, and the reason they're just barely going to miss is they haven't been nearly good enough on the road. They've only won three road games, and one of those road games was Vancouver at Rio Tinto Stadium, which is just a bizarro pandemic thing, so it was a home road game, which is weird. And then you come from behind and win in Dallas, you win in the last second in Kansas City, you've now won two playoff games, one in penalties, and again, stoppage time goal. It's four straight road wins. There is literally... No RSL fan who would have bet on that, and yet it's happened. The obvious question is why, but and I know it's the radio, so you got to come up with an answer. But is there really an answer, or it's just one of those things? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's hard to really make sense out of a lot of things in life, right? I think things just kind of happen, but I think there's a lot of uh, emotion and belief, and and you need the breaks as well, and so. Um, but but what I'd say is it's really interesting because I think the amount of focus there is on road games when there's 34 games before you um, isn't nearly as high as when it's win and go home. And so that obviously has a lot to do with it. Um, and and the guys just, you know, coming together at the right time. I mean, there's so many side stories where, you know, Miriam has been fantastic in, in, in the late run of of this group and coming in and, and really marking a difference. Um, and so that adds to it as well. And is that, as, as the guys coming in and off the bench do such a great job of contributing, other teams start to realize that this is a real thing as well. So um, I think it's a, it's an emergence of a, a lot of different factors. Um, but, but the most important thing is, is that the team believes and really confident about uh, the work that we've been able to achieve. 
This sort of reminds me of baseball. I'm an old baseball guy. If you go to the baseball field at Thunderbird, Pablo, you should know when I was a senior, I won the gold glove as a senior. I only had three errors and 55 chances, and I'm really proud of it. It's probably written somewhere on Thunderbird's campus, by the way. You just have to search it, maybe behind the bathroom in the boys' locker room. I don't know. But uh, it, it reminds me of baseball in a sense where we've seen this before. We don't necessarily see it in other situations, but you get baseball where you can get hot and if you get hot at the right time, what you did the four, the prior four, five, six months really doesn't matter. And it's almost unexplainable. I don't know if you feel like that because you're with the team every day, so maybe you had a little more faith. I necessarily didn't have the faith that they would win a couple of matches here like they've done. But I relate it to baseball in terms of getting hot at the right time and that that's really all that matters. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think this is – this is it. Momentum is such a huge thing in sport, you know, and going on streaks in the regular season. But it's really magnified when you're when you're at the end of the season and the way you came in. And I think it's also the way we came in to the playoffs. Right? It was a it was probably coming off of two difficult defeats where we were wide open and getting beat. Transition to an organized performance where we were disciplined, and then on top of that, we get rewarded with a a goal with whatever it was, 15 seconds left, and then we feel like if we can do that again. Um, we can carry on, and then we got, you know, we we had a performance in Seattle that was not what necessarily the way it was planned, but we held tight and we found a way to win. And so this momentum stuff, this belief stuff, it starts adding up the more you, the more you experience it as a, as a player. And then, like I said earlier, I think other teams start to believe that you you have this momentum, and oh man, these guys are coming, and they're going to score a late goal when they make their subs. And so it's been it's. <laughs> It's, it's hard to explain, but it's been an enjoyable ride for sure. So the ride keeps changing, though. Players coming and going. You're losing Everton. He's suspended for yellow cards. They are losing two of their top three goal scorers, one because of an injury, and Portland lost another guy because he took a red card at 90-plus four minutes, which seems incredible to me, especially because he knew his teammate was out with the injury. But nonetheless, how different is that when you got three guys who would usually be starting in this game and they're out? How much does that change everything? I would like to say it would have some effect, you know, but uh, how, you know, they're, they're a dynamic attacking team. And so they have Moreno that'll definitely jump in there and then a guy like Valeri. And so when you think about those two guys, you're like, man, that's kind of a like for like you know, miss. Um, and, and for our group, you know, everything's been a, a huge part of, of the run we've been on. Um, and, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's not going to be easy, but I think we, what we've shown with our group is when some guy's out, someone else steps in and does a great job. You know, Albert was out for the first two playoff games. You know, Chang stepped in and did a great job. Um, and so it, it's a playoff match. You can talk about X's and O's and, and all these different things, but really it's about who shows up on the day and who believes that they have a chance to win. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what it boils down to. In, in a sense, uh, I'm wondering if there's anything that's negative creeping in. Suppose you get down early. It's like, well, well big deal. We've already faced long odds anyway, so mm-hmm. – that shouldn't be much of an issue you know on the road not much of an issue as you said you know i watched that game 34,000 people in seattle it's a, it's it's almost like at this point as crazy as it sounds 
there's not a whole lot that can deter this club. That's what that's what it feels like, PK. I think you know we've we've seen a lot. Um, you know, we've been through some battles in, in the regular season away at San Jose where it was a slugfest, and we ended up on top four three. You know, we took some tough ones at home, um, giving up seven in the last uh, two home games. And uh, you know, I, I think when you see a lot, um, you, you, nothing scares you. And more importantly, when you see a lot and you have the confidence that you're always going to find a way in if you get behind, and that you're going to maintain a zero-zero for as long as you can on the road in these playoffs uh, until um, you find that goal. I think the, the guys have been so steadfast in the resolve um, in these in these last few games. It's been it's been fantastic, and even at halftime. Um, you know, when I'm addressing the team and I'm looking in their eyes, I'm not looking at eyes, you know, in Kansas City of a group with their heads hanging down and, and they, you know, shaking their heads. I'm looking at guys' eyes that are just, they're dilated. They're, they're in it. They're focused. Um, and I'm saying, we're getting back in this game, boys. And if we get back in, if we find that first goal, we're going to find that second one. And so it's, uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic uh, feeling that we have in this group and uh, definitely look forward to uh, pushing it forward to see how far we can go. Pablo Mastroeni joining us, RSL interim coach. So, uh, you read a book that changed the course of, uh, I don't know, I don't know if I can say that changed the course of your career, but it changed whether or not you went to the bubble a year ago. And it's kind of influenced how you communicate with people. You know, some coaches want to control every detail, cross every T, dot every I. Maybe they'll get labeled control freaks. You've gone the opposite direction. Explain the book and how it changed your thinking and how you're interacting with players during this playoff run. Yeah, so the, the name of the book is called The Surrender Experiment, and it's, from, it's by uh, Michael Singer. And, and so it's not give, give away all, all the – wonderful bits of information in there. It's, it's, it's basically a gentleman that uh, dropped out of college and set off on a life to be a yogi. And, and then fast forward to, this, to the end of the book, and he's selling uh, one of his companies for like $300 billion or some kind of, I don't know how many billion dollars. And so it goes from this, this guy that drops out of high school or college and then is a yogi to this guy selling this multi-billion dollar company. Um, and, and essentially, the story um, is this: it's this experiment of him surrendering to whatever comes across his path in life, and always saying yes. And, and the, his his thought behind this is that as human beings, we have preferences, and so we we want certain things, and we don't want certain things. Um, but that's based upon our, like our emotional and behavioral behavioral self. And he talks about the universe in a way that. Basically, the universe takes in a billion data points that are currently going on in everyone's life on the planet and all the different uh, variables that are involved in the solar system and and basically places you on a path where you need to be, given the path that you're currently on. Um, it's a remarkable book, and uh, I was reading this in a moment where I had some anxiety going into this bubble last year when COVID just broke out, and I'm thinking we're all going to go into this bubble and just infect ourselves. Is that what the plan is? Um but I ended up surrendering, and I ended up going to the bubble and had the most amazing experience um, seeing old friends, um, you know, drinking beers with coaches from uh, other balconies that you could see above you and below you to the side of you and, and sharing <laughs> sharing coaching stories. Um, and it ended up being just like this amazing trip. And then after I, I got back, I, 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 I passed that book along. I 
bought it for probably 50 people in my life since then. And so it's, it's a book that currently, um, surrendering to this moment as well. And, and, uh, and surrendering to the moment, really getting into the uh, playoffs where we thought we had to go to Casey and win. Um, and, you know, and I was thinking to myself, well, if this is a path we need to go, it's a, it's a fantastic path if, if it's meant to be. And, and, uh, I think it was really the catalyst to this run. So, um, it's a big part of my life and uh, will be for, for the rest of it, for sure. You know, as I get older... Well, I say... Oh, oh. I was just going to say, as Go I ahead. get older, that kind of stuff makes more sense to me, Pablo. But you've got a bunch of young guys on the team who've come up with them the academy, and somehow they've gone over 300 minutes without allowing a goal and a run of play. And you've got a goalkeeper and, and three defenders. And So when you say that kind of stuff to 22-year-old guys, does it make sense to them, or do you feel them starting to look at you like, whoa, coach is off the deep no. end? No, I would never say any of this stuff to them. I would never. That's this is for me in my own personal journey. Okay. This is not. I would never say it to the team. I would never. Okay. Um, yeah. No. It's it's it's. You know, when you're in there, you got to reach them, and this kind of stuff does not reach those guys. Uh, a few, I think, a few, gen- and maybe in a few generations it might for them, but for now, it's it's really staying focused and dialed in and doing all the little things. Well, Pablo, we appreciate you coming on and spending a few minutes with us here this morning. Uh, good luck in Portland. I don't know what the deal is. Seattle, Sporting Kansas City, Portland. I guess there was no way to squeeze in a trip to LAFC, too, so you can play in front of all of the most <laughs> rabid fan bases. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, really looking forward to it. And uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take everything that uh, we've learned and everything we've experienced and take them to a hostile crowd in Portland and, and do whatever we can to get out of there with a, with a great result and keep this run going, hopefully. Pablo, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot, and good luck in Portland. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, there is Pablo Mastroni, RSL interim coach, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. An interesting guy. You can get into uh, deep conversations with him, and you look up, and like 10 minutes went by, and you think it was like 30 seconds. So I've never had the chance to sit around and talk to him for an hour. I don't know if it seemed like about two minutes, but I always feel like that is probably how it would play out. Thunderbird High behind the well, we'll behind see, the man. Thunderbird High behind what? the bathroom door in the boys' locker room. That's that's where the plaque is. No, no, it's some. I, I think I wrote it. Oh, you wrote the, it. <laughs> the door. All right, DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven-five and twelve-eighty. The zone. All right, the Joe Ingles show coming up in forty minutes, right here on ninety-seven-five and twelve-eighty. The zone. DJ and PK in the morning, proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. I'm in studio with Yak. PK is on the road in Las Vegas. The Pac-12 title game is right around the corner. Seems like we've been waiting for this for a long time, PK. I mean, we were waiting for it since Utah beat Oregon two weeks ago, but realistically, leading up to that game, not even the week of the game, a couple weeks before the game, we were saying, oh, that game looks like a preview of the Pac-12 title game. I mean, each team had a wobble because well, it's the Pac-12 that... and they always have a wobble, but we've known it for a while. <laughs> a wobble. <laughs> a wobble. A wobble. Last week I had a gobble. This week they, they had, had a wobble. A wobble. Uh, yeah, I think after they beat ASU, we thought that uh, Utah yeah. was the heavy favorite because yeah. if for no other reason, there's only uh, two, one pretty good team in the Pac-12 South, one sort of decent team, maybe, maybe two, and then three crappers. <laughs> so uh, we knew what the situation was 
certainly once the Devils lost to Washington State, because then with Colorado still and Arizona on Utah's schedule, that uh, was a given at that point. I mean, we were able to say it with a fairly a fair amount of certainty. Authority, that, uh, barring the absolute. Yeah, that it was going to happen, and sure enough, it did happen. I, I think we needed a little bit more uh, evidence for Oregon. Well, I think we did need a little bit more evidence for Oregon because they got worked so badly by the Utes. I mean, that's the Stanford game was weird, and at the time it was weird, and it just got weirder because that was the last time Stanford won. I mean, Stanford was off to a half-decent start, and over the last decade, Stanford has had Oregon's number. And the thing with Oregon is, can you be physical with them? And this isn't the most physical, dominant Stanford team, but I also don't think we could completely wrap our arms around that idea at that point in the season. But as the losses piled up for Stanford, we could, so that was a head-scratcher. And then they really, really got drilled by the Utes. So we needed, we needed Oregon to look good against Oregon State. Not just win. Well, they had to win to get in. But they had to, they had to look good to kind of renew our confidence in them that they could provide a good game Friday night. And they did. They did look good. And they did all the stuff right that they'd done wrong against the Utes. I thought they looked okay. I don't know that they looked good. I mean, the fact is they only dropped to 11th in the rankings. So I think the Pac-12 desperately needed Oregon to win, to have any sort of semblance of credit, uh, credibility in your conference game. If you would have had a 7-5 and five team with a coach and a staff who quit, or not quit, but uh, had to resign or whatever it was in the midseason because of the vaccine issue, that would have just made a this game tomorrow night a complete stinker but now you got what are the youths are they up to 14 is that what they are now where are where they're in the ranking uh so you've got two at least they're not going to go they're not going to go to the playoff but you got two decently ranked teams so there's some street cred there yeah the youths are 14 in the ap top 25 they are 17 according to the college football right. playoff rankings but at least it's not which in- i don't understand that i know it's kind of low <laughs> i thought they should be a little higher uh but nonetheless, that's where they are. And I think if they win, they will be moved up several notches. So they got that going for them. Uh, but, it, I mean, to your point. It's, it's funny because I... it's much better that they're playing 10th ranked Oregon than they're playing Washington State 7-5 and five with an interim coach. That would have just been a total downer. It would have been mocked nationwide. And this isn't the greatest matchup, but it's way better 10 versus 17 is way better than the youths playing an unranked team with an interim coach, and that, that just would have, that would have sucked. Lincoln Kennedy was on with us earlier this morning, and we talked with him about this Pac-12 title game and where this is going, and uh, his point was Oregon, that, that was, and he's a former lineman, Oregon got dominated so badly. Uh, that they have got to come back, show some pride, and play better. But there's so much of a gap to close. And he was really down on the concept that, you know, they'll be super fired up and they'll come after you. As a former offensive lineman, he's like, that's just going to lead to mistakes. You can't see red. You, it's, yes, it's physical and you need the adrenaline, but it is still. And, and we've gotten this. It's still a thinking man's position and a thinking man's game. And yes, you're a 300 pounder crashing into another 300 pounder. But, uh, 
when we talk with Nick Ford weekly, he's talked about you know the alignment in his feet, 45 and 90 degree angles, and he's got to be totally locked in on what position he's playing in each game because the fundamentals and the footwork from position to position change dramatically. And Lincoln was all on board with, man, if Oregon comes out with the same attitude and the same level of energy that they had against the Utes two weeks ago, they're going to get drilled again. But he was also very sure that if they come out super fired up and adrenaline, well, then it becomes some kind of, I'm not martial arts guy, but, you know, I use your force and your body against you. And the Utes would basically just flip them on the head and destroy him. He just thinks there'll be a bunch of, bunch of penalties, guys jumping off sides, guys getting late hits, guys missing assignments. You see in red, you got to think. You know, you got to have your eye open for a delayed blitz. You're the second guy in on some guy. You got to be ready to step away and take a linebacker who comes who comes a beat later than you expect. So he was. It, it, it sounds like a, there's a, certainly a path for Oregon to win. You've got turnovers, and you know Brown at quarterback is a wild card. The guy is so up and down. You look at his stats this year, and he had 12 games. Or, and he had, he played all 12, and he had six games where he did it right. You can just look at the stat line. The completion percentage is there. The touchdowns are there. He eliminates the interceptions. But he's got half a dozen games where it's just all wrong. In a sport where the percentage that completion percentage you expect out of a quarterback has climbed from 55 to 60 to 65 or 70, I mean, he does that. He has a three-game stretch where his completion percentage against Cal, UCLA, and Colorado, poor team, slightly above average team, really bad team, well, he's completing 71, 74, 80% of his passes. But he's got games where he's throwing two picks, he's not throwing any touchdowns. He's got multiple games where he didn't even complete 50% of his passes. He's a total wild card. You just you can't count him. Now, he does have the games where he throws for 300 yards and lights somebody up, but you can't count on him. And PK, no. you haven't been counting on him all year long. And he has, he, he has these games occasionally where he's good enough to keep the job, and then he has the games where if you complete 48% of your passes like he did against the Houston the first time, you're probably going to get beat the second time. Uh, Brown is down, and the Ducks are going to get out of town. <laughs> Mic drop. Thank you. Poet. <laughs> So you're down in Vegas you know, already. Sorry, Are you seeing any yes. fans down in Vegas already, or is that uh, it's too early? The U fans will be rolling in today. Well, it's literally only uh, 7.36. You realize I had to get up so freaking early just to join you people? Jeez. <laughs> Dedicated. <laughs> if, if I Make me governor of Nevada, and the one thing I will do is put them on mountain time zone. They should never be on Pacific time zone. Makes no sense. Sure it does, but I don't want to get into that with you. No, <laughs> Come no, on. It does not. You, ha- you have to have, in order to be Pacific, that means you're the ocean. So you have to have a state that borders the ocean. And Nevada <laughs> does not border the ocean. Follow the money. Vegas, Reno, Tahoe. No, get a no, lot of gamblers no. from San Francisco and no. L.A. Don't confuse oh, them. Irregardless, same they time would have zone. Come either way. We're no, part, we're no, part of California. No. Don't make it complicated. Just come on over and gamble and give us your money. No, you're not. Especially now. Come on, where you can gamble, walk out the door across <clears throat> the street. Yep, it's a true story. <laughs> How about yeah. just try gambling I mean, it, it, on your, your phone. phone? Yeah, you just go on your phone if you're a sports fan. There's plenty of games you can. 
remember I told you the other day that uh, a friend of mine uh, texted me, literally texted me, as it was obvious that Oregon was going to have to punt with 11 seconds to go in the first oh, half. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was and awesome. He said, and he said, Covey's taking it to the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did, obviously, and it was a great play. Well, now I was thinking about this. This is only a matter of time. Well, you'll be able to sit in the stands and actually bet. Yes. Is Covey going to take this? Yes. Yeah, you can, you can put down a bet. I mean, that's, that's clearly where we're going with this. Uh, You're not the only one saying that either. That is clear where we're going, and I've read multiple stories. You're going to be able to bet run or pass on the next play. And if you have a gambling addiction, there are going to be people lining up to separate you from your money. And and that's where this is going. And the commissioners have been told, don't speed up the game, because you need to give people time to bet in between pitches, in between snaps. The, the no-huddle yeah, no offense is going to irritate gamblers. I think that it's only a matter of time you'll be able to bet on when I sent out my next anti-church tweet. <laughs> I'll, bet on, I'll bet on never. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I bet on that, people? A, I have my reasons, but I want to keep my edge with the but, <laughs> tweeting books. I was going to say sports books, but that's not what it is. With the tweeting books, i got to keep my edge. I can't explain I only, my reasons. That's the tweet I got this morning. He's waiting for my next anti-church tweet. Uh, so I've got like three or four I'm contemplating right now. I think I'll, uh, they're embargoed until uh, 11 o'clock West Coast time. So, uh, although, I don't know, maybe I'll do it earlier. Because if I do it earlier, then it would be a nooner, only sooner. But yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. <laughs> Free association. I think it's a little early for the Pac-12 title game because I don't think, as uh, I, we were talking about this earlier, that this isn't a uh, a holiday. A, uh, <laughs> a holiday. It's not an event. It's a ball game. It's just strictly a game. It's not an event. Like a bowl game is an event. Like for instance, I remember a couple years back because this is the third time the Utes were going in are going to be playing in the game. So the first time they got in. I expected I would be going to Santa Clara like on a Tuesday or Wednesday because there would be practices and press conference and all. I've covered so many bowl games, as you have over the years, that that's the way they do it, right? Well, then I find out, oh, no, no, no. The conference is, the, the approach is everything is the same. It's just literally an away game at a neutral site. And what I mean by that is that everything that the teams regularly do game week at their campus is exactly the way it is and then they just fly in sometime Thursday and that's it and then they have the game and then it's like an away game and then you do the press conference after the game there's nothing leading up to it. see bowl games they have a bunch of stuff and activities now yep. I knew they wouldn't have go visit the kids at the hospital or go to uh, to play games at the New York New York or whatever it might be I understood that but I was a little bit surprised that they didn't build it up so the conference treats it just like a game and I think that's what the fans are doing here they're going to start rolling in today tomorrow most likely particularly from the Utah perspective yeah. because you can drive and therefore that there's not there won't be a lot of pre-game action the way there is in a bowl game now this thing starts at five o'clock uh, pacific time six o'clock mountain time so i'll get over the stadium probably three-ish because the the commissioner is going to speak i think you'll see a bunch of people milling around then and i'm going to go out today i mean i got in last night going through the gorge last night there was a traffic accident it took me over two hours yeah, to get that. through the gorge to get 
on the other side. And good news of, on that uh, front. The gorge. I guess not good news, but uh, Southbound I-15 is closed in Arizona currently due to a crash. So plan for extra time, folks. Yep. As of this morning. Yep. Oh, my gosh. And it was nasty. And by the time I got through, it was dark. I entered it around the five o'clock and the sun was just setting. And I mean, I didn't get out of there until Mm. past seven. And then once you got past the gorge, it was probably another three miles for the crash. And then by the time I got up there, it it looked nasty. I saw an SUV that did not look like an SUV. So uh, it was a it was a long drive for me. And by the time I got into the hotel, it was late. I went to Jimmy John's, came back and turned on the uh, the game uh, Utah Valley and and the Cougars watched it on my phone and uh, was able to to have that so I knew what was going on there but I didn't do anything I didn't get out of the town well today I'm not going to sit in this room all day so I assume I'll see some red and some green in in the community uh probably see more red at places that I normally wouldn't uh, frequent if you know what I mean yeah okay good all right, so I think you're right about I think you're right about it it has definitely been a game atmosphere, but I think part of going to Vegas and part of hiring Klavkov as the commissioner is they'll never be able to make it the bowl game event because it's not a holiday. The student athletes are still in school, the fans are working. It just the, the timing isn't right, but moving to Vegas, if you're going to get people who aren't as passionate compared to the SEC or the Big Ten, and if they have to travel further than they do, the only way you're going to create a championship game in an event is give it some sizzle. I think that's the reason to go to Vegas. It's an event town. There's casinos. There's shows. There's golf. There's a lot of things to do there to try and turn it into a weekend. It'll be interesting in this new TV deal if Klyavkov gets him a a Saturday time slot because that can help make it a little more of an event, at least make it the weekend. Uh, A a Friday doesn't really lend itself to that. But I think they do have to add some sizzle to the steak if they don't want to be playing in half-full stadiums. And that's that's not a good look. Uh, Yeah, but see, I disagree. I think they should keep it on Friday night because that allows you then to have a Saturday event. Well, that's true. I was thinking, I I looked at it. Yeah, my wife was thinking about coming down. She's not. But I was looking, and, and I saw Little Big Town was going to be in. They're in town tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought, okay, I'm checking out of the hotel Saturday. I could hang around, play golf Saturday, and go to a show Saturday night. So in terms of making it more of an event rather than just a ball game, I think Friday night's the better. Now, you probably, depending on where you're coming from, you got to take the day off. But you're probably going to take the day off anyway or, or work half a day and and, and all that stuff. So I actually, I like it on the Friday night at this point because I think it allows people who want to come to Vegas and do something on the Saturday. You got the whole day. Then you could turn around and go home on Sunday. Now, she's not coming down, so I'm, I'm just going to take off and, and go home. Uh, but if she were, I, I was actually looking to see because you always know, and, and Vegas, to a degree, is up and running. Um, I don't know that anything will ever be the same as it was, but you know, I was down here for a couple of concerts uh, last month, and uh, to a large degree, it looked like Vegas was back. So it's 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 and I think I think Larry Scott would have moved it to Vegas too. It yeah. was clear that's right. where, this is where they it's where it was going. 
Yeah, the basketball tournaments worked out too well, and the football game was kind of falling flat. Vegas was the next option, and Larry Scott would have done it, and it's moved there under Clay Avkov. And if it had been somebody else, they would have moved it there too. I mean, that's that's the next move, yeah. and, and it's probably the best idea. I think it'll work out, and it'll be there for a long time. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles is here in about 15 minutes. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Join Unrivaled with Alex Curie and Scott Mitchell Friday from 3 to 6 at the Hot Tub Factory Outlet Holiday Sale in Draper next to Cowabunga Bay. 12101 Factory Outlet Drive. That's 121st South Factory Outlet Drive. Sniggy. Yes. I got a bone to pick with Whittingham. Now what? Well, he just said in your Ute updates at 50 that since they've joined the league, uh, the South has only won one of these games. Well, there was no game before you joined the league. I know. I did think that when he said that. <laughs> well, that's why these games happen. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what happened to the Pac-12 before me. I could almost see him like, I'm not going to go into that. If I dig into that, I'll mess it up. And I was over there like, mm, there wasn't one. Uh, I remember when the Devils beat the Cats in the Pac-12 title game. <laughs> <laughs> We'll let, it, we'll let it slip, though. He's got a lot on his mind. Let it slide. Let it go. <laughs> Which, and I do have a problem with this type of game to an extent because of the fact that you've you, you basically, not entirely, but you've turned it into like a big sky basketball. It, it doesn't really matter what you did for two-plus months, it matters what you do in this one game to go to the Rose Bowl. There are more and less satisfying matchups. Uh, two years ago, when Utah and Oregon are both 8-1 and one, and they didn't meet in the regular season, it felt right, it felt true. But if you get teams that have already played, if you get a team that is two games better in the standings, then it doesn't feel right. It, it's just that's not... That's not what we're looking for in championship matchups. Okay. And you know that if Oregon should win, we're going to hear, well, that's sort of unfair that they got to play them twice in three mm-hmm. weeks yeah. and, and all that. So it, it, it's, it's concocted to, a, to an extent because it does, and I think it does to a degree, take away from what, has been a really good regular season in the conference, not the non-conference, but the regular season, the conference play. And now you got to do it again. And if you don't do it, well, you're out the door and you're regulated to the Alamo bowl. Nobody wants to go to the Alamo bowl. Let's call it like it is. They certainly didn't want to go last two, well, last time, two years ago, and they're not going to want to go this time, but yet they'll have to go and put on a pretty face and go through the motions and all that stuff. But there'll be a massive, massive letdown. Whichever team, for that matter, not just the Utes, obviously, whichever team. So that's the situation. And you've got to deal with it because it's not going to change. You know, there's money to be made off another game, blah, blah, blah. I understand that. Now, if you win, well, then it's the greatest thing ever. You beat the Ducks twice. Then you beat a ranked team that was – you literally beat a top-ten team twice. 
How many times has Utah in the conference season beaten a top 10 team twice? I don't know that there's been that many times because I don't know there's been that many times where Pac-12 teams have been ranked in the top 10. So this is this is a double opportunity, man. I mean, everything is right before you. You really you will shoot up the rankings. You'll get to go to the Rose Bowl, which you know to get go to the Rose Bowl is good enough, and but for me, but here you'll beat a top ten team twice, and in in a down year, and for you, what was considered somewhat of a reloading year, that's really good if you could pull this off tomorrow night. Boy, I think that's about the best you could hope for, uh, coming out of your conference. Not the non-conference, put the non-conference aside for now, but from the conference for the uh, 10 games that you will play in the conference, this is about the best-case scenario, especially considering that you went 1-2 and two in the non-conference. Yeah, at that point, it was really hard to foresee that this was going to happen. And yet, that's exactly what happened. Although, as we look back, it makes sense. it's very conceivable. I know. Because Absolutely. nobody else in yeah. the South was worth a crap. Right. As you look back... It, you know, UCLA beat LSU. Well, LSU turned out to be a six and six team, and UCLA is eight and four. Right. And UCLA was at home, so great. Uh, but watching Utah get pushed around by BYU, watching make multiple mistakes and lose a very winnable game in a bizarro triple overtime formula against San Diego State, and then watching as they start to fix some of the other problems, watching them just drop the ball again and again against Washington State. You knew the possibility was there, but you didn't want to say out loud, oh, this team's going to go on a roll. I mean, it looked like the pieces were there, and they could and they should, but you couldn't say they would because every week it seemed to be something else. But after that Washington State game and the conference opener and finding a way to win that, even though Washington State was missing a couple of key offensive players and their starting quarterback and their start running back, yeah, they got it together, and they looked like the best version of themselves in all but one of the next Except eight games. Yeah, the Oregon State game, that yeah. they were not the best version. You know, they, they messed up two punts. Uh, Oregon State ran the ball on them too easily. You know, there, there were problems in that game. And I guess you could say against ASU, there was 30 minutes, and maybe that's when they figured out. The first 30 minutes weren't good. Whatever, uh, whatever happened in the locker room, my gosh, they came out a totally different team, and that's pretty much the team I, they've I been since then. I don't think that first 30 minutes, I think that was more on the Devils were good. They looked really good in that first half. It wasn't like the Utes were incompetent. They weren't stumbling all over the place. It was just as a matter of the Devils looked good, and then they changed it all and, and went on the run. And I think this sends a great, great message to programs as far as, you know, how do you go about building a program? Well, you hire the right dude, preferably one who has a long-term commitment and is not going to flirt with every single offer that comes his way, and he's going to stay there, and then you let him do his thing because you look at all these other teams. And I think I totaled it up in the South since Kyle has been there. there has, he has gone against, uh, maybe not literally, uh, him, the Utes, but there's been in that time 20 coaches that sounds about right. Have gone through the South. I, 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 I totaled it up a few weeks ago in my mind, and I double-checked it uh, because SC had a couple. I had, I had to make sure I counted for interim coaches, which they're head coaches, so they need to count, even though they're interim, like Williams here for SC. The, they didn't, that, that's an interim coach, but he counted because he was the head coach at the time. 20 head coaches since he's been the head coach at Utah, and Utah has had one. One versus 20. 
Well, my gosh, that's your answer right there. Hire the right dude, make sure he's committed, and give him what he needs, and then let him go to town and do what he does. And that's exactly what Kyle has done. That's the reason for the success. That's a good recipe, and that's a good recipe for not paying out that half billion dollars in dead money that uh, college sports has paid out to fired coaches over the last 11 years, really really since the Utes joined the Pac-12, since Utah and Colorado made the move. I, I know, right? And, but I don't know that that's the story that's going to sell it. The story they may sell it because it's a bigger, um, it's a higher profile program. It's got a bigger rep and it's got, you know, a glorious history. But Michigan stands by Harbaugh when many people in college football would have let him go. People have been fired for doing exactly what he did. Winning enough, well, winning a lot of games, but not winning enough for the school's ego and not beating the rival. That'll get you fired a lot of places. It didn't get them fired, and now they're 11-1 and playing for the conference title. Yep. And they stuck it out. And the Utes stuck it out, but there's more eyeballs on Michigan than there are in Utah. So, All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles, the Joe Ingles Show. Joe makes his appearance next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. PK, sometimes the sports calendar just doesn't cooperate. Jazz get three days off, no game, and they come back and they play the night of the Pac-12 title game. And Phoenix and Golden State, who just played on Tuesday, top two teams in the NBA, Suns win, so it's 17 in a row. Both teams are 18-3. and three. They're playing on Friday night. We've got to spread this stuff out, PK. It's too much all at once. What about us? What about our needs? <laughs> yeah, I know. I see you. Come I on now. This Friday night on fire can't find a good game that that's a you problem there's plenty of options joe ingles is going to join us here momentarily and the uh the jazz will get back at it friday with boston and then they hit the road four straight road games and uh we'll see how they how they handle that stretch they went out on the road early in the year and and it went pretty well it's actually they've had more problems at home than on the road so more road games well I think that if they play well, they'll be fine. It's as simple as that. I'm going to stick to that mantra, I think, the whole season. If I change that, then that's bad news for the Jazz. But I'm thinking that it's all about them, not the opponent. All right, let's get to Joe. Hey, yeah! This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe, and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic... And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Yeah. Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. <laughs> With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Joe Ingles, join us now on the Smart Rain Guest Line. Joe, good morning. Good morning. Joe, I love it when you get into it with the media. That's just the best. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, but it's just spectacular. What are they? Yeah, telling a reporter after the game, asking a question, you can't trap me. (laughs) Nice, Joe. I never said that. I just said it wouldn't. It's not smart to trap someone that wants to pass. Like... I mean, I'm not going to comment on another team's preparation or plan or whatever they want to do because that's what they decide is best for their team. But 
if I was playing myself, I would not be <laughs> I would not be trapping someone that wants to pass. <laughs> I'd be trapping someone that wants to score, not someone that is more than happy to pass the ball. But each to their own. Good each luck to, to them. Each to their own. <laughs> That's an interesting concept as far as that, uh, because you're inclined to pass, and we've known, obviously we've known that for many, many years, uh, and somebody like Clarkson is inclined to score. Do, do you think it's part of the individual player's makeup, or is it more of that's what you're assigned to do because everybody has a part in helping a team win? How does that play out? Uh, I mean, as you grow up you figure out what you're good at and some people are a lot better at other things than others um, regardless of not just in basketball but in whatever Renee's a way better parent than I am (laughs) so um, there's just things obviously that are are so different and um, throughout your your career and your kind of childhood growing up you you figure out things you're good at things you're, you're not as good at and me, passing was always something I was was able to do, obviously, um, but to make the, the right pass and, and the enjoyment, I guess, of, for, for me of, of getting an assist or making a play for a teammate was um, more in, in more enjoyment or whatever I've got from doing that than necessarily scoring. And then, I mean, JC's a easy one to talk about in terms of the, the scoring side of it because he, he does it so easily. Like, it's the way I got the it's so easy for him to to get in the pain, to make a play to some of the finishes that he has. Um, so it just kind of, it kind of just happens. I think that's when you get to the the professional level that's where it gets a little bit kind of murky waters where some guys or, or players might try and do more than what they are either like you said asked of or are actually capable of if a team came to me and said hey we want to sign you we want you to average even in my Younger, younger days, or whatever, playing more minutes, or whatever the situation is, it's just not—it's not how I how I play. So, um, yeah, you just figure it out as you as you kind of go along in your career, and you figure out what you're good at, and obviously you still work on the things you, you're not as good at. But I think that's a—I mean, and I work so well together is. I know he wants to score, and he knows I want to pass him the ball to score. So it's, a, it's an easy uh, two-man game for us to play. So then there are the other parts of the game, and you got to, you know, to be a pro and to be an NBA guy as long as you've been, you got to have the well-rounded game. But and, and I do watch you different because I'm watching games and I'm watching stuff you do. So you know, we're ready to talk to you and ask you questions. And watching that Blazer game, I wonder if you were a little more dialed in defensively. You had to guard some smaller guys at times. And I saw you, C.J. McCollum, 
tries to beat you off the dribble. And, and maybe he did, and maybe to a certain degree you played the angles, like I don't want to foul him, I'm going to let him go a little bit. But you were kind of lurking behind him. It was like you were doing some kind of Rudy Gobert impersonation. I will let you go by you, but I'm eight inches taller, and then I will block your shot. And he kind of peeked and saw you and went out the other side. I don't know, it seemed like a game of cat and mouse. Do you, do you get dialed into that some nights more than others? Were you more dialed in in the Portland game? Um, no, I mean, I would vote in every game. Um, sometimes you might not have it in some way. You might not be feeling great. You might be tired. Like, there's obviously a million things that go on in leading up to a game uh, that, that a lot of people don't know about. You might be sick. You might not have practiced. You might have a nagging injury or, or something like that. There's, there's so many things that people never see that, that go on. Um, I mean, there's there's matchups. Uh, I think that you so, some guys you you might even just know better than other guys. Like if, if I'm matching up against Dame or CJ, I've played against them for eight years. I know a bit more of their tendencies. If it's someone else that's newer or, or playing a different way or moved to another team and has a, a different role, um, sometimes it's a, it's harder to to kind of get a, a swing on the kind of how, how they want to play. Obviously, we, we watch film and we prepare, but when you're standing kind of face-to-face with someone, it's, it's a lot different than watching it on a on an iPad. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would be very confident to say I'm dialed in most nights. Um, some nights you perform better than others. I mean, some nights you guys have bad days at work or a lawyer doesn't win their case or whatever it is. There's so many things that, that go on and um, the difference between that and our job is we have 20,000 people watching our job and um, and commenting on it and, and kind of dissecting how we how we play on a nightly basis. So um, at the end of the day, for, for me and our team, I, I think we judge ourselves and obviously individual performance and team performance and that's Within, within our group. If coach says I'm not doing the right thing, then um, that, that's where something needs to change. If coach says I'm not being aggressive or I'm not shooting or I'm taking bad shots or whatever it is, then they're, they're the, the things that you kind of listen to and change. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a hell of a job, right? You get to, we get to go out and perform in front of all these people, but then we just get completely dissected every day <laughs> until the next game happens. Yeah, I mean, that's just dead on as far as that goes, especially in our community where you're the one highest level professional team. We do dissect everything. I mean, we, the radio folk and the media for sure, but also the fans too. I mean, they're right there with you, which is, I guess that's part of the good stuff because that just means there's so much interest in the team. And I would think that makes it fun when you're playing a packed house and there's so much energy. Uh, But I don't know if it's a downside, but you can call it maybe we do dissect and that's what i'm about ready to do so you're gonna get <laughs> mad at me anyway but i'm gonna do it it doesn't matter because you're right that's it's what we do that's precisely job. what like we, we do this is what we signed up for this is a part of yeah yeah it's signing why, autographs in yeah. public people asking for photos people interrupting a dinner or like it's just a part of what we've almost obviously we didn't sign up for someone to interrupt my dinner but it's a part of being in a, I mean, any any professional sports team, but especially in a, a smaller right. state with with no other, yeah, um, or the being the biggest, most most seen professional team here. 
Right, exactly. Yeah. So my dissecting of your game is, okay, the uh, O'Neal's out. You come in the last two games. You, uh, the team wins easily, and you have great games. So I'm wondering, should they start Joe Ingles? Now, I know you're going to get mad because we've known you for uh, almost a decade now. You don't care you come off the bench. You don't care if you score. You don't care if you assist. You want to win, and we know that. But it looks like to me, who's an untrained basketball eye, uh, I, I mean, I, I have a, a master's in love, so I know a lot about personal relationships. But basketball, I don't know a whole lot. But I'm watching you play these last couple of games, and you look really good as a starter. I want Joe Ingles starting. React to that, please. I will add to it. Mike Conley's our starting point guard. Donovan Mitchell's our starting shooting guard. Boyan's our starting whatever small forward. Royce is our starting small forward times two because I don't know if he's a power forward, but... That's our and Rudy's obviously our starting five. That's our starting five. That's not changing. Anyone that thinks I'm going to start is crazy. It's not. It hasn't been talked about. It won't be talked about. I don't want it to be talked about. I don't want coach to talk to me about it. I a thousand percent know that when someone is injured, like one through four, those first four guys, that I am ninety nine point nine percent probably going to start, um, and I enjoy that little change up of role every now and then but I also very much enjoy my role of coming off the bench with, with Hassan and JC and, and Rudy Gay and then playing with those guys and, and obviously one of the starters um, depending on who it is um, but those guys have earned their starting spot I am not trying to steal their starting spot I'm not trying to it, like I said if someone's out I know I'm going to start and um, I mean, it is fun to start those games. It's not like I hate playing basketball. Like, if I can play more minutes, then cool, I'm going to try and play more minutes. And obviously, when someone's out, I'm going to play a few more minutes. But, um, no, I'm our, our team is built the way it's built. Our team is good because of our, the, the way we start and the guys we have coming off the bench. And that's not changing. So people just need a... Uh, I've seen it, obviously, a bunch over the last however long and obviously even more the last however many days it's been four or five days but as of whenever Royce is healthy whatever game he comes back whether it be tomorrow or not um, I'll happily go and park myself on the bench again put my sweats on and wait till the seven minute mark to come in I am a trained trained basketball eye taking graduate level (laughs) courses had to sit through a lot of film sessions. Jerry Sloan broke uh, clipboards on my head. That helped. The concussion somehow advanced my knowledge. I don't understand how that works. I think when you start, Joe, you're out there with Donovan and Bojan and Rudy, right? And, like, if you make a great pass, those guys are probably going to make the shots. And people are less likely to double so you. because the guys who, on the bench. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Hold on. Hold on. We'll get to that. going to make a shot. Hey, I'll break, a, I'll break a Jerry Sloan clipboard on you, so help me. We'll get to the bench in a second, Joe. But when you're out there with the starters, of course you flourish. Now, People you're saying, don't... now you're saying I'm passing to guys that can't make shots. No, no I'm not. Don't Rudy's put words into my mouth. Points. I hate the way <laughs> you people and, in the media put words in my and mouth. One of the starters, and one of the starters is always out there. No. And then one of the, one nope. of the, the big is a seven-footer that catches the ball and dunks it. So that's just a silly comment. You're in the starting lineup, and nobody's leaving Donovan to double you, and nobody's leaving Rudy to double you. When you okay, that's completely different to you saying that when you go 
when you uh, make shots. When you go to the bench, you're going to shine in that starting role, given who you're out there with. When you go to the bench, and I have not graphed the numbers on this, but when you're with the bench group, there's a percentage of the possessions, and I think it's much higher, where you literally don't touch the ball. You go to the corner and spread the floor, and Jordan goes to work. And so there's this percentage of possessions. You never touch the ball, and that is automatically going to lower your numbers. Whatever else happens, whoever else the other guys are on the floor, (laughs) Jordan goes to work, and that has worked. Jordan won the sixth man of the year, and he has single-handedly gone on runs where he scored on five straight possessions. So everybody says, well, turn him loose. I don't know what's going to happen, but odds are it'll probably be good. But you don't touch the ball, so of course your numbers go down. But your defender never leaves you because they're not going to give you a corner three. So, so you end up just sure. not touching the ball. Reaction. Is that, are you done? Uh, unless you piss me off. <laughs> Another thing, well, first Joe. First of all, I'm assuming you, you took back the first part of me when I passed to a starter and made a shot because you didn't mention that again. So even when I Well, because you don't have the ball. Already, yeah. But it doesn't defeat the fact that when I do pass one of them, they usually make a shot. They're pretty good shooters. Yes, and you don't average zero points and zero assists when you're with the bench group. But the numbers do go down because of the way the team operates. I get completely different looks as a starter compared to coming off the bench. I Mm -hmm. agree with that. And that's because as a starter, depending on who's out, whether it be obviously Royce's, Donovan's getting the best defender. Yep. Mike's probably getting the second or Boyan, depending on who, who it is position-wise. Boyan or Mike is getting the second or third. They're, they're the top three. And I'm just getting, like, the guy that I use, <laughs> the guy that I defend when I'm out there. So <laughs> we defend each other. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it, it makes it – I don't know if it makes it easier, but I'm not – I don't have Patrick Beverly on me, or I don't have player whoever it is, Tory Craig or, or whatever. Um, when I'm out there with the the bench unit or whatever you want to call it, it's usually me and JC will probably get the two best defenders, and especially off how our bench played last year and how myself and him played together last year. Um, I obviously understand that, so it's it's completely different and. Yeah, I mean, it's just different. It's different looks. It's different touches at different times. It's different spacing. It's different. Mm-hmm. It's completely different. But like again, like you said, does it, do I care if I get one shot or nine shots? No. Like if it's a, obviously no. if it's a good show, I'm going to take it. But it's it's just different. It's not a bad thing. It's not. A negative thing that they won't leave me in the corner if that is the case and they don't want me to touch the ball in a position then JC's got more room to go to work or Rudy's got more room in a post up or Rudy or Hassan's role might be even easier because they aren't leaving the corner and if they do then I get a wide open three which Mm -hmm. is great so sometimes I said it a couple weeks ago about I think it was after the game that Mike shot four shots and we, we won by whatever we won by it's like that's just the way it's the way it is sometimes, and and a, and a big part of that is the way teams defend. Last game when they're hedging or whatever they were doing, it's more. I mean, it works. It works better necessarily for Mike and I to handle, and for us to be able to get off it and like 
Donovan and Boyan or that play off a closeout or play or really or get a catch and shoot or whatever it is because I'm six eight, I can pass over it. Mike's quick enough to, to get around the hedge or, or whatever the situation is and um, other nights will be different. Other nights they're switching and I don't want anything to do with having an ISO against another guard. So I'm I'm not going to have as many possessions with the ball. Um, and that's just the way it is. And um, Games are different. Each night's different depending on who we play and how teams defend us. Um, and also offensively as well. Like certain games, we're trying to do specific things offensively that might not it might not work for me or it might not be a night for JC or whatever, whoever it is. It's not anyone in, in particular. So the, the game's so different every game and obviously we just go out there and do our best to try and win. You've played with a lot of good bench guys and I think a great example of that if people are, are following and PK and I have talked about this when you haven't been on the air but George Niang goes and goes to Philly, and obviously they got a lot of drama, and, and he gets a bigger opportunity, and he has been putting up some monster stats, but a lot of it just comes down to opportunity, and that's what's working for the Sixers right now. And he didn't put those for numbers sure. up in Utah. He probably could have, but the situation didn't call for it, and he's in a situation in Philly where it calls for it. So he's, he's had some nights. He's just crushed at shooting the ball. Well, and he, uh, I think a big part of what you're saying just then is, is accepting a role. Yep. and. Was he frustrated at times? Probably when he was here and didn't get to play as many minutes or, or have the ball as much or shoot as much or whatever the role was. But he also played his role perfectly here for, for what we needed him to do at that time and went and got a double or triple his salary. And now, like you said, now he's playing more minutes. He's getting more opportunity. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's super cool to watch. Obviously, I'm pretty close with him and still speak to him every couple of days and um, I, I still think he would prefer to, to be here with us in, in whatever capacity but he's he's happy and he's like you said he's getting to play and he's playing well and, and obviously proving that he's a, a hell of an NBA player I think he's been start, uh, maybe not anymore but he was starting for a little while there um, he didn't do anything against us because we knew what he wanted to do but apart from that he's been <laughs> he, he's been killing it so it's good to see and he's got great stories for his book because when I when I see Ben Simmons there uh, with the phone in his pocket, barely moving, I see George standing right behind him, and the look on his face is like, "I saw a lot of stuff in Utah, but I never saw anything like this." The look on his face I, is priceless. I think it. I think it would be a, a very different situation there than it is here, but that's probably also like twenty eight other teams as well. So um, we're lucky what we've got here, and. Um, Again, obviously, I mean, I can't. I'm not. I've never played for any other team, but um, yeah, we're we're lucky what we what we've got here. Well, Joe, we appreciate it. I love to have you on, and I love to uh, have you yell at me again next week. Please do. Yeah, well, stop saying silly things. <laughs> <laughs> Even though in the end you agreed with me, I love that. <laughs> no, I didn't. I said that's why you didn't say it again because you knew you were wrong. <laughs> You knew you said the wrong. You were, you were so excited. Joe, Joe's going to so go to his grave, man. I know, I know, right? You were so excited for your stupid little statement that you said the wrong thing, and then you didn't say it again because you knew you were wrong. So I'm glad we agreed to agree that you were wrong. You people in the media putting words in my mouth. Me, me too. Yeah, <laughs> PK media. always loves conflict. Yeah, go get them, guys. <laughs>
Yeah, way to go. All right, Joe. That was Thanks, fun. Guys. Appreciate we'll it. talk to you again next time. There is Joe Ingles joining us every week. I get why the starter thing is a thing, but I think if you look at it a little more, is it that big a thing? What do you mean, is it that big a thing? His numbers change, and people look at the box score, and they see the scoring total and all that. But if he's coming off the bench, and they're winning, and the way he helps win is to go to the corner and spread the floor, and Jordan Clarkson gets more room to go to work. Sure. You know, But I, they weren't winning. Oh, they lost, as soon as, or, they right. lost in New Orleans. They lost to some crappy teams they had no business losing to. He gets in the starting lineup and he just looks more effective. He's too good not to be effective. I get where he's coming from, and he's going to protect his guys at all costs, yep. and that's one of the reasons why he has endeared himself not only to the team, but the community. It's nice, and he's and he and his wife with the autism and everything, they're, uh, and his wife's an out-there person, very active on social media and in the community, so we all love him for that, but it's about winning. And I want to maximize each player's individual talent, which is hard to do because you just use the example of Niang. Clearly, he's being maximized more, if that makes sense, (laughs) in uh, Philly. Well, they had a really good team here. So how do you handle that? It's not an easy case. And it's easy for me to say, I want Joe to start because I don't have to deal with the with the egos and everything else. But the fact is, I'm just looking at a two game sample and he's played really well with those guys. Why isn't it? Why isn't it potentially possible that O'Neal can come off the bench, but yet he can still contribute? I don't know. I don't know that. Well, I think that's I think think it can be done, but I don't know that I don't I don't study it like those guys do. Yeah, I think that comes down to you got to ignore the offensive numbers and and accept that you know the defensive assignment that Royce has taken every game is not an assignment you want to put on Joe every night. And it doesn't mean that Joe can't d somebody up. And I know someone's no, gonna no yell, but it doesn't have to be Paul that George. way though. It doesn't necessarily. I got, I got, I got you. But then O'Neill can come in, and there's ways around it. I mean, obviously, there's other people who think the same thing. Uh, as I do and your line of questioning, people within the organization who are very smart. That's a fact. We know that without giving up anybody. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Everything you missed in this show, we get you up to speed next. Stay with us. Anthony driving on Jeff Green. Step back. Jumper. Terrence Davis doubled at midcourt, finds Fox. Fox now accelerates in the lane, goes to the right, scores off the dribble, and that will seal the deal for the Kings. Giannis down the lane, attacks, scores it, up and in! It's the go-ahead bucket with two seconds to play. Here come the Hornets, a half-court heave at the hole! In and out! What a ball game! The Bucks will survive it! Giannis Antetokounmpo, 40 points, 12 rebounds, 9 assists. The game winner right in the final seconds as the Bucks beat the Hornets 127-125. PK, how much do you have to see out of the Charlotte Hornets, a team that has been down pretty much forever? A team that can be a playoff team. They're two games over 500. Are they on to something? Or is this like the high water mark? They've gotten to mediocrity. Congratulations. Well, you have to get to mediocrity before you get to somewhere, right? Yep. So uh, I, they finally made a good draft. Uh, the, the ball <laughs> kid looks like he's a player. Hayward's a player. We know that. 
you know, he may not be a thirty million get on my back kind of guy, but obviously he's a quality NBA player. We saw it here. I think he would have been more quality if he would have stayed, but that train has left the station long ago, and nobody cares anymore. Uh, so, yeah, I've been watching him because he's Hayward, so I do watch him. And the ball uh, kid, you know, to see how he could do with his brother and his father and his other brother and all that stuff. And he is from Chino Hills, which is a dear community in the Southern California area. So I've been watching, and at least watching box scores anyway, not necessarily watching the team. And I think they're on to something to be decent and be a playoff team, but obviously that's not the goal is to be a playoff team. The playoff, the goal is to you know, win it all and be a contender. They're not there yet, but if they make a couple of good more moves, maybe they can be. They're really on the young side, and that's why I wonder if they're on to something. Now, Hayward's not young. He's 31. And Terry Rozier's in his prime at 27. Right. But they got a lot of guys on that roster who are early 20s. And you don't usually win much more than they're winning now when your roster is a bunch of guys in their early 20s. Uh, you can probably find a couple outliers, but there aren't very many of them. All right, the games in the West. And then you wonder, oh, it's ahead. not a glamour spot. Yeah, do they stay, right? Yeah. It's not a glamour spot, so, yeah. All right, so the games in the West that uh, more people care about. I mean, the Nuggets have just been hit so hard by injuries. They lose the Magic 108-103. They've dipped under 500. The Kings beat the Clippers 124-115. Uh, there are two teams off to great starts in the Warriors and Suns. And the Jazz, despite the disappointments, are still off to a good start, playing at a 55-win pace. But is anyone going to go with those three? Because you've got... The Lakers battling injuries. The Clippers don't have Kawhi because of an injury. Denver's had multiple injuries. And I know it should be next man up, but there just isn't another Kawhi Leonard. And so it's weird to think that they're going to... Oh, no, 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 no. Their next that, man that, up is more a football thing. That only if it's... Yeah. It's a football thing, yeah, because you know you're going to have major injuries in football. Yep. You're going to have nicks and bruises, and not everyone's going to be available all those games. Football's about depth. It's about stars and depth. Uh, and, and the NBA, it's about stars and, and then do what you can. Uh, so you, you, don't, you don't replace these, these top-level guys. There's just not that many of them. It's really interesting. And How come basketball has, is like that? Why is it a sport that if you're in the NBA, you're really good, right? We understand that. But why is it a sport that is dominated by so few? What makes it that only a few are all that these other guys are really good you know but they're not all that why is there so few all that guys why i don't understand why is that how can that possibly be why can't there be more of all that but there's not i don't know that basketball's all that different as far as having that many all-that guys, there aren't that many all-that quarterbacks in the NFL, and there aren't that many all-that starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. Yeah, see, I, 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 I don't know about that, man. I, I, I think that, that it's a different type of deal, though, in those sports. So you went right to quarterback, mm-hmm. but you can't name me all-that offensive linemen, but yet there are. There are plenty of them. Right. So they just don't get the run that the quarterback does. His name is Quentin and Nelson. so we okay. look at that. Who's Quentin Nelson? He's a starting left guard for the Indianapolis Colts, and he is a bad mother. <laughs> okay. Right, but he doesn't get that, that much run. Okay, so but the just, quarterback we, touches we, the ball 
every play. That's why they're disproportionately so does the center. important. But okay. yet we don't know centers, and the center touches it, and he sets up the line, and hands can go. I'm going to see him in a few minutes here because he's going to come get the equipment. And if he's listening right now, he's probably ready to punch me in the head uh, <laughs> because they they don't get they don't get that they don't get that run. Uh, but those those guys are vitally important to what you're trying to do. Absolutely, just it's it's bizarre because the the the, the quarterback gets he's the glamour the boy, and you know you need yep. him to be really good. Yeah, and the starting pitcher, I, I get right. the catcher touches the ball every play too, unless I guess it gets hit. And then maybe they throw it home to him. So the catcher is the center and the starting pitcher is the quarterback. And we just know whole teams are keyed off what the guy does at that position. If that guy's excellent, then you got a chance to be excellent. If that guy blows. But I can name a, you more than three or four really good quarterbacks in the league. And it just seems like there's three or four guys in the NBA who decide so much of it. Yeah. And Antetokounmpo was one of them. Without question. He is definitely one of them. All right, we've also talked a lot of Utes this morning. You are in Las Vegas. Hans is in Las Vegas. That's why he's coming to get the equipment. Do another show from Las Vegas as we gear up for the Pac-12 title game. Lincoln Kennedy. Man, he painted a lot of paths to victory for the Utes and only a couple of paths to victory for the Ducks. It is not a slam dunk. Nobody thinks it's a guarantee, but... If Oregon plays the way they did in Salt Lake City, they're going to get beat again. Lincoln was really clear on that. And he also says if Oregon gets all kinds of adrenaline, gets pumped up, they're going to make mistakes, and the Utes are still going to beat them. So there's this fine line they've got to walk. They've got to play much better, but they can't just come out with all kinds of adrenaline pumping because he said that was going to lead to blown assignments and penalties and a long night for Oregon. Everybody's leaning, everybody's leaning Utah. Nobody really wants to go slam dunk. No, I put the Utes at about 65%, and then it has an opportunity after the first couple of series to go up to about 85%. If I see a repeat, if I see the Utes dominate, if I see Thomas and Pledger getting six, seven yards of carry right off the bat and rising you know, with his passing, his, they don't go deep a whole lot, but hitting on those medium passes, and we know the players, the tight ends and all that stuff. We, we know who they are, so I don't need to name them. And if we see that right off the bat, then I'm going to jump it to about 80 85%. Doesn't mean they can't win if I don't see it. But if I see a continuation of what I saw a couple weeks back, then I'm going to start making reservations in Pasadena. Absolutely, yeah. And I don't know that I'm going to see it, but if even if I don't see it right off the bat, I still think the Utes have about a 65% chance to to win. Now that's nothing. That's not near good enough for me to put one penny on it because um, that's not who I am. Even though I've got all sorts of time, I could I could bet thousands of dollars tonight and nobody could yell at me. <laughs> but I'm not going to. <laughs> but you ought to go to the sports book to watch the NFL game because first off, it's the Cowboys and Cowboy fans are everywhere. And saying it to watch the people who do put a lot of money on this game, whether it's the point spread or the over-under or whatever other bizarro bet they can get a hold of, to watch them go nuts. And it's, it's Taysom Hill. we got a local angle of this game. He's going to get a start. And he got, he got four last year. He'll get one this year. And, and they're on a four-game losing streak. They were 5-2 and two and looked really good. And in the last month has been brutal for them. So maybe he can help right the ship there a little bit, although... Oh, that's exactly what I do. I come to Vegas, check in, 
you know, go to the gym that they have, uh, maybe go hit some golf balls, and you know, I do my show, of course, and then I go to the sports book, and then I just sit there, and then too, I usually have to move depending on where the smokers are sitting. Oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> clear out. And the, Right. And so then you got the horse racing over here that I look at. Then you got all the TVs over there. I live in the sports book. The, the reactions of the guys in the sports book are a lot of fun. And I never, I literally never once, and I have been to Vegas a million times for personal reasons and for work. And I have never once put one penny on any game. DJ PK, we are brought to you in part by Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for the $59 furnace tune-up special or visit them online at leesheatac.com. All right, your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's time for your feedback, all the stuff you think about today's show. Jill says David James yelling at Joe Ingles might be the best Ingles interview ever. How could you rank the best <laughs> Ingles interviews ever? Joe has been... That one was up why there. Not? It was? Oh, oh yeah, I just think there have been so many awesome segments with Joe. He, oh, he's I, don't been, th- I don't think you like so being good. in the spotlight. So I think no, I don't mind at all. I, mean, I love it when I'm writing oh, Joe's wrong. I don't know about that. I don't think Joe thought that. Well, Joe didn't know where I was going. He was assuming where I was going. Jumping out of and plying where I was going. That the other guys weren't good enough were on the going. bench. I know, I know why. I know where you were going, and I know why you were going there. And we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay, I don't even know what that means. Average homeboy, why does the local media hate Utah and love BYU so much? Now, I was just told this morning that I hate BYU and love Utah. Yeah, we should have these guys talk to each other and get their story straight. <laughs> we shouldn't have to answer for both of these things. We should only have to answer for one. And that comes out of this conversation. Uh, We were talking earlier about the championship game on a Friday. And John says, having the championship game on Friday reinforces the idea that the Pac-12 is not a major conference. I agree with that, John. The SEC doesn't play midweek, and the Big Ten doesn't play midweek. The Big Ten very rarely plays plays Friday night. But... When you're the only game on Friday, you're going to get better ratings, you're going to have more eyeballs, and that's going to generate more dollars for the conference. So until the conference has better teams creating better storylines, you know, high rankings, more at stake, people that personalities that people are emotionally invested in, they're going to have this difficult choice. They're always going to be in a part of the country that has fewer people. That's not going to change. It just Sheer it's population. I don't think it's a difficult choice. You want to leave it on Friday night? So they're going to, so they're going to stick your 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 championship game at eight thirty on a on a Saturday. Yeah, that's what we want. No, the AAC plays tomorrow. So they, I mean Saturday. So that must mean they're big time. The AAC goes head to head with the SEC. That's not a great place to be. To the be Mountain West plays ratings. on Saturday, so that must mean they're big time. I mean, we keep moving the goalposts on what is big time. Saturday night, 6 o'clock after the SEC game ends when the ACC is playing. Play then. Uh, why? What's wrong with Friday night? Then, in, then you can have your whole Saturday. You really can't argue anything. You're the best. It's not about arguing anything. It's about making 
you're actually arguing it, but I never point out that you can argue anything because I'm a team player. I'm like Joe. I'll never confront you the way you did him. It was wildly inappropriate. Believe me, I've already got him talking to me about that, and I've had to apologize three times already. Thank you. So it's about what, what you're trying to do. You're trying to create a weekend in Vegas to get people to come to Vegas. And who doesn't want to spend a Saturday all day in Vegas? The weather is going to be awesome tomorrow. We've already looked at it, right? So you can go outside, and then you can go to a show, go to a dinner, and then you can go home on Sunday. Well, if you got the football game, it doesn't work that way. You're not a forward thinker, and I'm actually shocked because usually you're at the forefront of being a forward thinker. I like to be a backwards thinker sometimes, just to turn around and see what the view is in the other direction. Yeah, well, then if I'm in front of you, the view of that I have suddenly gets gross. Oh, that's disgusting. If I turn around. I told you earlier about the uh, fan who had the BYU sticker and the Pac-12 2021 champions, and he had the logos of the five schools they beat and the score of every game under the five logos. And Wurz says, folks, this is so stupid. Enough already. Is it really that stupid? Rolling in the glory of your best wins? Granted, I wouldn't do that to well, my yeah. car. Utah Valley right now, they're West Coast Conference champions. <laughs> you got a lot of reaction with that. Most people thoroughly enjoy well, it. I got... And the one that hurt is PK is lazy. He loves pot shots at BYU, but he does not tweet the University of Utah sarcastically. Just waiting for an anti-church tweet. How long will they wait, PK? Uh, forever because i love all of god's children there it is look at you go it doesn't matter where you go to church i appreciate that you go to church i dave come on how long have we been together almost 20 years this if that doesn't not prove that i love the mormons i don't know what does PK will be headed to a mountaintop near you soon. If you would like to go along, don't. Mind your own business. He needs to be alone on the mountain. Well, you got Mount Charleston right here. I'm looking out. My view actually looks. I'm on the 25th floor. Of the I couldn't columns, remember the name. It was it Mount Charleston. West. Yep. Yeah. How yeah. tall is Mount Charleston? How long a hike could you face uh, Sunday? It's a pretty good one. I mean, they can get some snow up there. So... Uh, yeah, I, I would say probably, um, what's it, probably six, 7,000 feet, maybe? All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. PK is in Las Vegas, and he'll be in Las Vegas again tomorrow. And the title game tomorrow night. Hans Olsen will be there talking with Scotty later today. Stay with us. More coverage from Vegas, the Pac-12 title game, the Utes and the Ducks, right here on The Zone Sports Network.